honor today to uh, have Thurman Scrivener with us. I've been in Thurman's home and uh, spent about three hours with Thurman uh, one night. He was gracious and kind enough for uh, one of our uh, our very own just to come sit in his house and listen. And three hours went by like that. And I couldn't. I looked up and I said, Thurman, we've been talking about the Word for three hours. And uh, it, it was like 30 minutes. So uh, uh, we have scheduled 9 to 2 today. And I know that seems like a long time, but I promise you, once he opens the book, you are, uh, you're going to be challenged. Uh, you're going to have some mindsets. Uh, I know each of us come from different backgrounds. I was raised Methodist, got saved in the Baptist church, and when the scales fell off, uh, as I began to, to walk in, in this area of called faith, and I'm going to tell you something, folks. This gift of faith that is Holy Spirit given, that came from the Holy Spirit, has been removed from the church today. It's been removed. And because it's been removed, and now it's coming back, just to remember the first time that you heard a prophetic word. Do you remember what your thoughts were? I can tell you what mine were. That wasn't God. I know that wasn't God. I mean, I was a, prof- I was a professional judge of what the prophetic word should look like, and I'd never heard it. So what I'm going to tell you today is I really want you to open up your spirit and your heart. Because that's where faith wants to be imparted. That's where you believe in the heart. And then that's where you see the signs and wonders that follow. It's the same faith that you got saved with. So I'm just going to encourage you. You're going to have different thoughts today that's going to, that are coming about. I'm asking you to open up. There's, I promise you one thing. You can take this to the bank and you'll deposit it. You can draw dividends the rest of your life. He's not going to share one thing out of it that's not in the Word. One thing I know about Thurman Script, and I've listened to enough of his tapes. I've been in his home. I, uh, I, I bear witness with his spirit. Uh, this is a man of the Word. And uh, everything he's going to share with you today, he's gotten by revelation. Is it going to be an impartation of revelation? And he's going to encourage you. He's going to challenge you. And uh, he's, going to, he's going to challenge your faith. To, to step up to another level. When I went into his home, I walked out. I felt this vacuum that caused my faith to go like this. Amen. That it needed to grow. And that I needed, I needed to step in another realm. So let's pray this morning. I'm going to run up and teach the Catch the Vision class and then come back down and join you. The, uh, just so that you'll know a little bit of the schedule, the actual CD over here will run 79 minutes. We're going to cut him off at 75. It takes about two minutes to stop in that break. Now, Thurman can talk about six hours straight. <laughs> He's a machine. <laughs> you drop two drops of oil in and he just runs. We call him the Thurminator. <laughs> but uh, we're going to take a couple minute break and you can ask questions all along the way. I know he's very, I've I, I watched him teach. Um, he's, he's very gracious. You can ask questions along the way and different things, but uh, we really want for him to just have the freedom to make an impartation to us today. We, uh, our, our desire at Gateway Church is to see the hand of God move. Yep. And uh, we were, this is not about us. We told you from day one, this is not our kingdom. This is not our... We're here serving the Master. This is His church. He birthed it in our pastor's heart. And uh, this, is, this is all about Him. So today we just want to be encouraged. So I'm going to ask you to open your heart. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for what you're doing this hour. We thank you for what you're doing in America, for what you're doing in Texas, and what you're doing in these cities that surround South Lake. Father, today we ask you that uh, as Thurman comes and shares, that you would, as he opens your word, 
and makes an impartation to us that we would begin to hear the things of the, what the Spirit is saying, what the Lord is saying this day, for this hour, for those that are around us that need to be saved, those that need to be touched, Lord, for those that uh, need to be freed. I ask today, Father, that you would do what it would take in our hearts, that we would be all that you've called us to be. I bless Thurman today. I ask that you just uh, anoint his mind and his mouth, and uh, as he makes his impartation, that uh, we would catch the things of the Spirit that he is saying. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please welcome Mr. Thurmanator Scribner. All these new names and everything, it's amazing. But I am glad to be with you today, praise the Lord. Uh, I will tell you to start off with this morning, uh, some of you have already asked me, where is my new bride? Some of you know I just got married two weeks ago. Tomorrow will be two weeks. And I left her in bed this morning. She may be very upset with me whenever she does wake up. But she doesn't endure well. Yet, she's not where I am in the realm of faith. And so she's an entertainer, and she's a singer, some of you may know. And her and her daughter are are professional singers, and they sing and entertain and uh, at lots of different places. And, of course, uh, uh, they sing until 1 o'clock this morning. Uh, And so she didn't get home with the equipment, and she crawled in bed with me this morning at 2.30. So when I woke up at 2.30 and uh, she was in bed with me, <clears throat> I told her whenever she left yesterday, I said, now whatever you do, i got to teach this morning at 9 o'clock, so I'll have to be up at 7, so if you don't get home to 2 or 2.30, don't wake me up. And uh, so anyway, when she crawled in bed with me, it woke me up anyway. But anyway, uh, we talked a little while and then we went back to sleep and she said, now I'm going to get up and go with you in the morning. I said, okay. At 7 o'clock, I know I I remembered the last weekend when we had a healing school over in North Dallas until 2.30, I mean until uh, uh, 6.30 in the afternoon. And after we finished the healing school at 6.30, uh, we jumped in a car and we drove to Hobbs, New Mexico because I had to speak at 10 o'clock the next morning in a church. So it's only an eight-hour drive out there. So we got to the hotel at a little after 2, 2.30. Uh, time we got in the hotel room, had a little bite to eat and everything, it was 4 o'clock when we crawled in bed. So at uh, 8 o'clock, you know, I get up and you got some little fellow out there that's not happy. <laughs> so anyway, we get up and, uh, of course, uh, 8.30, I, I mean, 8, 8 o'clock, I'm up at 8.30. I get her up and... Uh, she gets her shower and everything, and we go to church, and I preach till, I don't know, 12 or 1.30, 1 o'clock, I mean, what it was, and then I noticed her getting a little sleepy on the front row up there, <laughs> and so she had to get up once and walk outside, and <laughs> so anyway, we went to lunch with the pastor and his wife, and I had lit his fire. He's 66 years old. He's only one year older than I was, and he was fixing to retire. And I told him, I said, I didn't find any retirement package in the Word of God for pastors. <laughs> and, uh, I said, I found a benefit package that's very good, but I didn't find a retirement package. So I said, I don't think God planned for you to retire. And so he said, well, I've never seen any miracles or healings in the last 20 or 30 years. And so he said, I guess I might as well quit. I told him, I said, you've lost touch with God. That's what's wrong with you. So anyway, after 
the evening, she thought, Cheryl thought, uh, well, as soon as we get out of lunch, we'll be able to go to the hotel and catch a nap this afternoon, you know, so we'll be okay for tonight. But one of the families that morning asked me to come minister to them, so when we left him. She said, oh, do we get to go to the hotel and lay down a minute? I said, no, we got a family here. Give us an address. we got to go minister to them. So we went over there and ministered to them till 5.15, and that was just exactly time to leave there and get to church at 6. And so we taught there from 6 till about 9.30, prayed for people till 11.30, and then got to the hotel about 12.30. And so uh, she was not too good a shape the next morning. <laughs> So anyway, <clears throat> she's not there yet, and I know that whenever, if she comes walking in here in a little while, uh, y'all may have to forgive me if she, because <laughs> 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 I turned the alarm off this morning whenever I'm in there taking a shower with the door closed trying to be quiet, and I hear a noise, and I think it's a smoke alarm, and I walk out the door, and then I realize it's her alarm right beside the bed this far from her head, and she's still snoozing. <laughs> I said, she don't need to go with me today. So I just left her in bed this morning. So, oh, goodness. So if she comes in after a while on two or three hours and now walks in, <laughs> she may be upset with me, but that's okay. <laughs> Every man's got to start off somewhere with a new bride to get her upset, right? <laughs> it was for her benefit. But <clears throat> anyway, now that we've got a little bit of a story there, a little a joke or two told about me and my new wife. Uh, I, I will tell you a little bit more about how that come to pass. Get back on a serious note. Uh, when my wife was killed in a car wreck three years ago, I told the Lord, uh, of course, I, I, about a year later, it took me a year, it took me a year to realize that my wife wasn't ever going to come back. You know, I'd been married to her 41 and a half years, and, you know, when you've been married 40 years, 41 years, you know, and you've had a good mate, you know, you just... I mean, you're one, you know, in everything you do, you know. So, But anyway, it was awful strange that morning when my wife and daughter uh, got up to go to Brownwood, and uh, two hours later, they were in eternity. You know, you, you never know. You don't never know. So, you know, the thing about it is, <clears throat> you need to realize when the Lord says pray about everything, you do need to pray about everything. We don't do that. We don't do well what our king told us to do. But anyway, that morning I had no idea what was in store for me or what the future held. But anyway, when my wife and daughter were killed uh, that morning on October the 13th of 2001, and of course most of you have heard the tape about Caitlin and Kelly. You know how I stood in faith and brought those little girls back from the dead and and cleaned out Cook's Medical Center and got thrown out by the chaplains and all the things that happened, you know. You know, most people have a real problem believing the battle that's going on on the earth today and realizing that the devil's in the church. He's not out there in the world. He's in the church. So you got to, when, when, when you understand this, what's going on, it changes the way you do business. You don't get upset at nobody no more for anything because you realize truly who the enemy is and what he's doing. <clears throat> but when you realize the power you have over him, you don't sweat him anymore anyway, regardless. But <clears throat> as we went on, uh, about a, near, almost a year later, I finally cleaned out my wife's closet. Uh, you know, I took all of her clothes, shoes, and everything. It took me that long to realize. She, one morning I kept thinking, 
even though after I fought this battle with Caitlin and Kelly and bring these little girls back from the dead and, and get them healed against impossible odds, according to the world. You know, I mean, I know who I serve, and his name's Jesus. And so anyway, I could stand in that kind of faith and see the Lord do these things because we're supposed to live by faith. But still, it took me about a year, almost a year, to realize that she was never coming back. You know, she's in heaven. You know, I mean, although I had buried her and my daughter and saw them put in the ground, everything, I still kept thinking, you know, I'll wake up one morning and this will all be a bad dream. But I never did wake up. You know, it wasn't a bad dream. It was a reality. And so I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't have a clue if you have another lady for me in the future or not. But I said, I'm not going to go look for one. Uh, I'm not going to look for a wife. I said, I absolutely. I said, uh, I can easily in the ministry. I'm so busy. I really don't have time for a lady. But I really didn't. Uh, you know, I said, Lord, if if I had a wife, she'd have to be on fire for you, and she'd have to be a very unique woman because she'd have to go with me and do the things I do. And I said, I carry a grueling schedule. And I'm serious when I say a grueling schedule. I mean, used to when I was young, my wife used to not understand how I could stay up and work till 12 and 1 o'clock every night and then come to bed and get up at 6 or 7 and go to work and how I could continue with that schedule. But in the last year, I hardly ever get in bed before 2 or 3 in the morning, almost every night. I mean, I'm doing something, ministering to people. I mean, if I get in bed before 2 o'clock, I got in bed early, extremely early. And I don't know how I do it either. You know, I just don't know. But anyway, uh, you know, I got three or four hours sleep last night, but you know I do that all the time, and uh, you know, and 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 it's amazing how God uh, just keeps my strength up there. But anyway, uh, I told the Lord if I ever had another wife, she'd have to be something unique, that's for sure, to keep up with my schedule. Uh, she couldn't be a normal woman, uh, you know. I don't, I, and of course, most women are normal, you know. So. <laughs> You know, so I said, you know, you'll have to bring me one that's very unique. Otherwise, Lord, I, I don't want one. And no offense to you ladies, you know, but most women can't keep up with my schedule. I, I just, that's just the way it is. So anyway, uh, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, if you bring me a lady, you'll have to bring her to me and you'll have to tell me in an audible voice that this is the one because I will never date a lady. I will not go because if I were to try to choose one on my own, I know I'd choose the wrong one. And so I said, if I had another marriage, it'd have to be ordained from you, from heaven. And I'd have to hear your audible voice. Well, I mean, I'm not some kind of, I'm not some kind of a special catch. Let me tell you for sure. I'm just a normal man and by far, I'm not uh, nothing supernatural or handsome or nothing like that. I'm just a normal, maybe just a normal guy. But I, I know because of the anointing that God has placed on me and the miracles and the things that happen, I have had in the last uh, two or three years, I've had several ladies. It, it humbles me when ladies come to me and ask me out. You know, and I've had several that have. And I, I, I told them, I'm sorry, but I don't go with ladies. I don't date. You know, I don't even go out to eat with one or nothing because... I'm just not interested. Now, the only way I would go would, was if somebody calls, a lady called and said, I'd like to invite you and your staff over for dinner. Well, then I'll go, you know, but not just me. 
And we've had some that have done that. Especially those that have been miraculously healed under our ministry. They just want to do something for the Lord. So, anyway, I was rocking along here going good, but working. And uh, the 27th day of April, which is not very long ago. The 27th day of April, of course, I had been praying. And I said, Lord, uh, I need somebody else to help me in the ministry. Our little ministry is just growing leaps and bounds. I mean, you know, wow, beyond my wildest dreams what God is doing with our tapes and things like that. And I can only imagine how many tapes are out there because multitudes of people duplicate my tapes. In fact, some of them duplicate them until they're so bad, you know, they've grown down so many times and uh, they get to where they're terrible. And they say, call me and say, I got a copy of your tape and it was awful. <laughs> you know, the, the video was terrible. You know, when I find out that it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, you know, and so... Wow, I can understand why it's bad, but I don't copyright nothing. I just want the Word of God to get out. You know, I don't care how many times you make them or whatever you do. But anyway, the tw- I've been praying for somebody to help me in the ministry. And the 27th day of April, this was a very short while ago, again, I had gotten to bed at 3 a.m. that morning. And uh, it was just about daylight when I turned over in bed. And when I turned over in bed, I, I just flopped over there in the bed and I laid my arm. This is kind of unique, really, because God has never done nothing normal with me. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know why he does that, but it really has made life exciting. I will say that because, you know, <laughs> I'm so grateful to the king, I guess, because I was a normal Southern Baptist so many years that when he's... <clears throat> When he started doing things that were not normal, boy, did he change the way he did business in my life. But anyway, I turned over in bed about 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, on the morning of the 27th, Tuesday morning. When I turned over in bed, I you know, flopped over and put my arm over. I literally felt my arm fall on the body of a person. Now, when I felt that, I mean, you know, I was startled. And I opened my eyes right quick. And when I did, I was looking right in the face of Cheryl. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I opened, I startled me, you know, and I, I thought, what am I doing in bed with a woman? <laughs> I hope you all can understand where I'm coming from. It was that real. And when I done a double take and opened my eyes, and there was nobody there. My arm was laying on the bed. And I thought, Lord, am I glad that was just a dream? <laughs> That's not really a very good thing for a pastor to do, wake up in bed with a woman he's not married with, married to. <clears throat> Y'all know where I'm coming from, right? <laughs> so I thought, Lord, I'm sure glad that was just a vision and not a reality. And so it kind of startled me. So I get up and I walk into the bathroom and I wash my face and I'm drying my face looking in the mirror. And I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me that Cheryl is supposed to be the one that works with me in the ministry? Or what are you trying to tell me? He said, no, son, Cheryl's going to be your wife. I heard that this is clear. I said, she's going to be my wife. He said, yes, son, she's going to be your wife. What do you do now? <laughs> He's a faith God, and that's all he said. He don't tell me how to get it done or nothing. He just says that. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, 
Needless to say, that day was a little unique for me. I mean, I had a few things on my mind. I'm getting ready to go to Bible study tonight. I'm thinking, Lord, what is this? You know, I'm supposed to get married? So anyway, uh, needless to say, my mind runs some different directions. That day, I hadn't thought about those kind of things in a long time about getting married. So I go to Bible study that night, and of course, uh, Cheryl was not there. Because uh, a lot of times she either entertains or sings whatever on Tuesdays. And sometimes she's there, but sometimes she's not. So I got there that night. I didn't see her. We had about, I don't know, 80 or 100 people there at Bible study. And uh, I taught two-hour Bible study on Tuesday night and uh, to answered questions on 9.30 or 10. And then we were getting things cleaned up and getting ready to get out of there. And uh, only two or three people left in the place. And I turned around and looked, and there's Cheryl standing there. And I said, oh. I said, what are you doing here? Well, she said, uh, I was out, I had a uh, a lady I had to meet with tonight, and she said after I got through with her, it was about 10 o'clock, and I thought, uh, you know, Thurman's probably still at the church. I just, I'm going to go by and see him a minute. I just want to talk to him a minute. And I said, well, uh, I said, Cheryl, <clears throat> have you ever thought about working with me in the ministry? And she said, yes, I have. I said, would you be interested in working with me in the ministry? She said, I would. I said, well, I said, uh, why don't we go ahead and close up the building? Let's drive down the street here to a little restaurant. Why don't you follow me down there and we'll have a cup of tea or something and talk about this a little while? Because I don't know how to approach what just happened to me, see. <laughs> I mean, so anyway, we we're sitting down there in a the little restaurant uh, having a cup of tea. And I said, Cheryl, <clears throat> you know, if you were to go to work with me in the ministry, you'd pretty well have to give up your profession. She said, I know. I said, well, why in the world would you be so willing to give up your career and come to work with me in the ministry? I said, have you had a word from the Lord? She said, I have. I said, would you mind sharing it with me? She said, well, Thurman, it's really very personal, and it might offend you. I said, I've been a pastor for over two years now, and I don't think I'm offendable anymore. So I said, just go ahead and tell me what God said to you, because I would be very interested in knowing what he said to you. She said, well, you sure it won't offend you? I said, no, just go ahead and tell me. She said, well, Thurman, yesterday morning I had a dream the 26th of April. She said, I had a dream. And she said, in the dream, I wasn't just working for you. I was married to you. I said, oh, you were. (laughs) She said, yes, I was. She said, I hope this doesn't offend you. I said, no, it doesn't offend me. I said, that confirms what I heard this morning. She said, what did you hear? And I said, well, this morning I woke up with a vision looking you right in the face laying in my bed. I said, it so startled me, I got up and went to the bathroom, washed my face, and asked the Lord what he's trying to show me. Were you supposed to work with me in the ministry? And he said, no, you were going to be my wife. I said, so how would you like to serve with me in the ministry as my full-time helpmate? She said, I would love it. And so she reached over and tucked my hand across the table, and that's the first time we'd touched hands, and after I'd asked her to marry me. And so we sat and talked about this for about two hours, and she said it, she was kind of in a dream world, thinking, later on she got that, did he ask me to marry him? <laughs> he said, be his helpmate. I'm not sure he meant marriage. 
So she, we go out to the car, and when we go out to the car, I open her car door for her, and I said, now, Cheryl, I said, since I have just asked you to marry me, and she said, you did, didn't you? <laughs> I said, you know, you reckon it would be okay if I were to kiss you? And she just grabbed me and kissed me, and so that was the start of our relationship. And, of course, a few nights later, I contacted her, and I said, you know, since we don't know anything about each other, really, don't you think it would be a good deal if we got a date and we go out <laughs> and, and talk a little about each other so I can learn a little about you and you learn a little about me. I need to learn what you like and don't like, and you need to learn a little bit about me. In fact, we told her daughter, so that night, that night, uh, she said, of course, her and her daughter are entertainers, and they entertain together. And her daughter's been looking for another job because Mama's getting older. And uh, uh, her daughter's, you know, got a couple of master degrees, and she wants to do something else, and, and uh, or at least partially. And she's been looking for another job. And she'd been telling Mother, Mother, why don't you date? She said, no, I'm not absolutely. She said, I've been married twice, and both of them are rotten, lousy, and said, I am never. She said, there's not a good man left in the world. She said, I am not going to ever marry. <laughs> you know, when you get two bad marriages, you think everybody's bad. It's unfortunate. That's so, and you don't realize, even in a church, how many men and women have a lousy marriage. I minister to them all the time. So it's such a shame. But anyway, uh, we told, she told Christy, her daughter, 36-year-old daughter, that uh, she was going to go to work for me full-time in the ministry. And then a few nights later, I was at one of the uh, places where they were singing. And uh, at the break, intermission, uh, when they came sat down, I told, she said, well, honey, won't you tell Christy we're going to get married? She said, I, I told her we were going to work together, but she doesn't know we're going to get married. <laughs> So uh, I told her not to tell it because I wanted to make sure my son, you know, knew it too. So anyways, we sat there and talked a few minutes. I said, uh, Christy, what do you think about your mother going to go to work for me full-time in the ministry? And she said, well, I think it's great. She said, Mother's just been super happy ever since. And I said, well, uh, you think it's going to be okay? She said, oh, yeah, I think it's going to be wonderful. I said, what do you would you think if I were to told you, tell you, and I reached over and pulled her up real close to me, I said, you're fixing to be my new daughter. And she looked at me and she says, I'm going to be what? I said, you're going to be my new daughter. I said, your mom and I are not just going to work together. We're going to get married. And Christy's mouth fell all the way to the floor. It was quite awesome. And, of course, uh, uh, she was awestruck. And, of course, when I told Tim, then my son, I told him what the Lord had done. And uh, he said, Dad, you've never dated this woman? I said, no, son. Never held her hand. And he said, you already asked her to marry you? He said, Dad, don't you think it would have been a good idea at least to ask her out on a couple of dates before you ask her the question? I said, no, son. When God tells you to do something, I've had enough encounters with God in my life that when he tells you to do something, you do it. And I said, if you'll do what God says, I said, you'll have a great life. So, <clears throat> I caught a lot of flack, a lot of flack, a lot of flack. Uh, anyway, I won't go into great detail on all that, but anytime you start to do what God tells you to do, you can always be assured that the devil's going to jump in there somehow, some way. But I've encountered a lot of those things. <clears throat> but now then, I want to start this morning in Psalms 91, just the first couple of verses is where we're going to start. This is a very, very powerful teaching, 
And I've come to realize that over the years, I used to read this book, but I didn't believe this book was an owner's manual for life. I didn't believe it meant what it said. I didn't believe that I would be accountable to it exactly like it's written. And I didn't believe that it, it told me I was who I was and I could do what it said I could do. In other words, I was a normal, traditional Southern Baptist. You know, so... <clears throat> Well, when I made that statement to Dr. Ben Smith, where I'd served as a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, and everything for 20-plus years, when I made that statement, I used to be a normal Southern Baptist brother. Ben said, no, Thurman, you were never normal. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, a normal Christian comes to church on Sunday most of the time. He said, a supernatural one comes on Sunday morning and Sunday night. But he said, those exceptional Christians come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But he said, those awesome Christians do all those things plus all the things you always do. I said, wow. So I was busy at the Lord's work. I put God first, but I didn't have any idea that he was who he was and what he could do. And I was who I was until I began to read this book in fine detail. And when I began to read this book in fine detail, realizing this book is an owner's manual written to the church. And when I began to realize that he was going to hold me accountable or he was going to allow me to do what this book said I could do, I'm telling you, it changed my life forever. <clears throat> and it is still changing my life. And what I'm teaching is catching a lot of conflict with a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. It's kept me out of a lot of churches, but I back up everything I say with the Word. Amen. <clears throat> and it's bringing forth great miracles. In fact, I might tell you before we read this, I did speak at a Bill Gothard uh, seminar uh, that's Baptist primarily, you know, but uh, I, it's, I did get to speak in one of those. But <clears throat> before I got to speak in it, God had to heal four people for Bill Gothard standing in his office instantly before. But even that, the miracles are not sufficient. You know, so anyway, after speaking one time at one conference because of something I said and the flack we caught, they canceled all the rest of the conferences. I told them, okay, that's okay. No problem. So anyway, all I'm going to say is I'm going to teach the Word just exactly like it's written. God confirms what I teach with many signs and miracles and wonders. Boy, is He ever uh, beyond my wildest dreams. And uh, I was told that if I married Cheryl, since she had been married and divorced, that God would never do another miracle for us. Never. Well, it's amazing. We got married on Sunday. The next Sunday, we go out to Albuquerque and, I mean, to Hobbs in New Mexico and that night in the service sitting right on the front row was a woman been in a wheelchair many years. And I prayed for her that night and that woman got out of that wheelchair and walked off. I thought, praise God, if he's not doing something, somebody, I guess the devil did that then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever did it, I'm grateful to the Lord. I really know who did it. It was God. But I want you to think about what the Lord says here in Psalms 91. <clears throat> he that dwelleth in the secret place or in the... Secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When he says, he that dwelleth. Now, you can put, ladies, you can put she also right there. He or she that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, you've got to dwell in this place if you want God to do these wonderful things for you. You can't be a traditional Christian and come to church on Saturday or Sunday or whatever and do your thing the other six days a week. 
You have got to abide with God every day if you want him to do the things he's going to tell you he's going to do here in this scripture. Because I'm telling you, the church, this was written under the law. But the church today that I'm associated with nowhere comes close to living in Psalms 91. I mean, it makes us promises that we don't even, we don't even begin to comprehend this belongs to us today. But the first requirement is you must dwell with the Lord. What does that mean? Dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. Today, under the grace that you and I live in, when we step into the realms of faith, which the church don't know what that means. I know. I was raised a traditional Christian, and I've been in church all of my life. And I had no idea what it meant to walk by faith. I had no idea. I mean, I'd heard those phrases. I'd heard them taught in church. But I didn't really know what it meant. I had never seen God do a miracle, a healing, or nothing. Now, there's something wrong with a picture with a body of Christ at the head of the church, which is in charge of everything, which is supernatural and powerful. And if you're not seeing him do mighty answers to your prayers, there's something wrong with you. It's definitely not God. It's you. It was certainly me. Although I was going to church, I was serving the Lord, I was reading the Word, teaching the Word, a deacon, going to visitation, doing all those things, but didn't know how to pray in faith. Didn't know how to walk by faith. If you'd asked me, do you know what, it, or do you know what faith means? I'd have said, sure. Boy, I could have quoted you. Uh, Hebrews 11, 1, you know, I could have quoted that, but it didn't mean nothing to me. It didn't mean nothing to me. I didn't realize that when I prayed, I didn't realize I was not trying to persuade God to do something he was reluctant to do. That's what I thought I was trying to get God to do. I thought, Lord, if it be your will, will you please do this for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so? And you go beg and get down, you know, some sick person, and you go get down and start begging God to do something for them. And he never shows up. And he thought, what is wrong with this? Why do I not get my prayers answered? Uh, I just I just didn't understand who he was or how to move his hand. But when you read this, he or she that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Then he says, I will say of the Lord, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. The first thing after you learn how to abide in the secret place of the Most High God is you must learn how to speak God's Word. If you don't speak God's Word, you will not see Him do very much. But when you begin to hide this book in your heart, when you begin to hide this book in your heart, you will begin to see God do great and mighty and wonderful things in your life when you begin to dwell in that secret place and then begin to speak His words. I mean, speak his words in faith. Now, when I say those kind of things, let me give you an example of what we don't do today. If we believe God and we knew we were his sons and daughters and we... What is that? Is that the... Oh, air conditioning? Okay. Thank goodness. It's getting warm. But if we believed, if we believed that we could do what the Lord tells us we could do, and we were who the book says we are, 
the church would be doing some things different. Because the church does very few things in faith. In fact, how can you be a member of a church and go to church every time the doors open for 40 years of your life and never see God do a healing or a miracle? I mean, that's bad. And I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about the entire church of hundreds of people. We don't see God answer our prayers. So there's something wrong with this picture, or at least it was to me. And I thought, Lord, if I'm serving this supernatural God and I'm not seeing any answer to prayer, there's something unique. To give you an example of how it first began to happen with me, here I was going to church every time the doors open. I'm a young man. I'm working at a Chevrolet house washing cars and helping to do mechanic work and things after school in the afternoon. Because I was raised up in a fairly poor family. We didn't have a whole lot uh, back in those days when I was a kid. And so I needed a little extra money. You know, I, I, I would like to have a car and have a few little odds and ends things, so I was going to buy it myself. So I was working at Chevrolet dealership, and for some strange reason, I don't have any idea why, all over my hands begin to come up warts. Warts begin to come up on my hands. And, well, of course, you know, you're a young man. You're working. I mean, you hit one of these things. I had a great big one come up on my elbow. Every time I'd move by, I'd hit that, knock that thing off, and it'd bleed like crazy. And, of course, you don't like that, see? Nobody likes that. But I didn't realize these things came from the devil. And I didn't know who the devil was. Nobody ever told me there was a devil. You know, I never heard anybody talk about the devil in church. I don't ever remember even hearing the pastor talk about the devil. Of course, I'd read about that, and I thought, well, I guess back in the days when Jesus was there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and a little bit in the book of Acts, you know, they talked about a devil. But, you know, I don't know what happened to him. I guess he died or something, you know. I don't know where he went because we don't talk about him no more. And so, anyway, I didn't know the devil was what putting these things up on me. So, of course, I would try the typical things that everybody would try. You know, I went down to, I had a good friend that was a pharmacist there in Goldsweight where I lived, and I went down there and, and, uh, you know, he gave me some medication, and I put this stuff on there, but it didn't work. I tried it and tried it and tried it, and nothing worked. And so, anyway, one day I was there working on a car, and I had these big old white spots all over my hand. And a guy walked in, and he said, wow, he said, Thurman, you sure do have a lot of big warts on your hand. I said, yeah, I know. He said, how would you like to get rid of them? I said, well, gee, I'd love it. That's what I got that stuff on there for. I'm trying to get them to come off, but they won't come off. Well, he said, do you know Mrs. Klein that lives up here on Main Street? I said, yeah, I know her. He said, she takes them off. I said, she takes them off? He said, oh, yeah, I've known several people that have gone up there, and they all went away. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Never heard of such a thing. So I go home, and I said, Mom, Mrs. Klein, I mean, they own the place right beside ours here in the country, but I said, they live over in town. I, I said, you know, Miss Hot Klein? Mother said, oh, yeah, she's in my Sunday school class, son. I said, there's a man told me today that she takes off warts. Now, my mother's in a Sunday school class with this woman. No testimonies have ever been given. Nobody knows this in the church. We keep things secret real well that we should be telling. And things that we should keep secret, we tell them very well. So anyway, nobody knows about the power God's using this woman for. Uh, not, not many, a very few. So anyway, we jump in a car and we drive back over to her house. And mom says, he walks in, he calls her first name. said, a man told my son today that you take off warts. And she said, oh, yeah. She said, you know, it's really quite simple. 
And I said, well, how do you do it? Oh, she said, well, it's really simple. She said, the Lord's really the one that does it. She said, I just pray for you. I said, you pray and God takes off warts? Yes, she said. I said, how do you do it? She said, just come in here, Thurman, and write your full name down for me on a piece of paper. I said, just write my name down? She said, yeah. So I went in there and wrote my name down on a piece of paper. I said, what else do I need to do? She said, nothing. They will come off. I said, they will come off? She said, yes. The Lord will take them off. So we left and I said, how long is it going to take? She said, well, I don't know, probably two, three, four weeks. But said, they'll be gone. So anyway, I go home, you know, and I just forget about it. I mean, you know, I've never seen a healing or a miracle or nothing else from God. And so I just think, well, okay, you know, forget about it. And so about four or five weeks later, whatever it is, Mom and I sitting there at the breakfast table. Dad, he's already been up and gone to work. And, and I'm getting ready to go to work at 7. And, and we're sitting there having a little bite of breakfast. And I look over my hand and I just, I just jumped through. I, Mother! I said, look, they're all gone. And all of them. There wasn't a mark, a scar, or nothing. They were all gone. I said, Mom, they're gone. Just like she said, they're all gone. And Mother said, well... I haven't even noticed them being going away. So anyway, that night we went by town, got a little present, and went up to Miss Klein's house and walked in and said, Ma'am, look, these things are gone, and I brought you a little gift. She said, Oh, Thurman, she said, you shouldn't have brought me nothing. She said, I just prayed it wasn't me. The Lord's the one took them off. I said, How did you do that? I said, Well, Thurman, I just prayed in faith. She said, God is a faith God. And when you come to him with the word and you ask him to take off something, he demands that you believe with no doubt in your heart. So it said, if you ask him to do something and call him into remembrance of his word, he watches over his word to perform his word. I thought, wow. I mean, it was awesome. And she even told me the little prayer and how simple the prayer. I said, would you tell me how you did that? And so she even told me the words that she used to get it done. And, of course, she, put, she said, since he is a faith God, that's why I wanted you to write down your entire name so I could call your entire name before the throne of grace. So there would be no problem with God knowing who I was praying for. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's a whole lot to this. So you, I, I'm learning. And so... I, for 10 years, I run that little simple prayer over in my head thousands of times. But did I have the faith to use it for anybody else? Nope. Did I ever get to see God do anything? Nope. Years and years go by. I've come back to Louisville now, and I've uh, already been to Vietnam and back. I'm a grown man now. Went to the war and back, and... Got back, went back to school, and finished uh, my school, and then come back to Dallas, and I'm now teaching engineering here in the Dallas area. And uh, starting to go to church at Lakeland Baptist Church in Louisville, and one night, one of the men that I met there, that one of the couples there, they turned out to be real good friends of ours, and so we were down at their house having a little bite to eat one night with them, and uh, their son walks in, he's got some great big old warts on the top of his hand. And now he's got that white stuff on them. That's how I noticed them. <laughs> I looked over and I saw him and his name was Cliff. I said, Cliff, what is that on your hand? He said, well, Thurman, that's some big old warts. And he said, I'm trying to get them off. But he said, I ain't having no luck. 
I said, Cliff, go over there and write your full name down for me on a piece of paper. So he went over and wrote Clifton Wayne Hurley. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to pray and God is going to take those warps off. Now, he was a member of the same Baptist church I was, and we were all pretty dead in that Baptist church. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's just the way we are as Christians today. It's not just a Baptist, let me tell you. It's the church. The church is not living where she should be living. A long shot. But anyway, I went home with fear and trembling because I had made a statement to him that God's going to take those warts off of your hand. So I go home in fear and trembling, fall on my knees, and I call God into remembrance of a powerful scripture in his word that says I can ask for anything. See, now, when you take a scripture like John fourteen thirteen, where Jesus said, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will do it for you. And then when he turns to the next verse and says, so therefore, ask the Father in my name anything, and he will do it for you. We don't believe that. We really don't believe that. Because if we did believe that and we believed he was who he says he was, every time the enemy comes upon our camp to do something devastating to us, instead of running to the doctor or to somebody else, we would always come to God first. So I realize we don't believe him. Only time most Christians go to the doctor or go to the doctor Jesus is after they've been to the local or specialist and the doctor said, I'm sorry, but what you got is incurable. And you got terminal cancer and you're going to die. Otherwise, we don't even come to God or we might flippantly ask God to help us or help that doctor as he heals us. That's where we live. We don't believe God can do things anymore without the help of somebody else. That's where I live most of my life. So I can associate with this. But anyway, I went and I knelt and I prayed in fear and trembling, quoting God's word and asking him to remove those warts on Cliff. Clifton Wayne Hurley's hand. And a few weeks later, I don't know how long, two or three weeks later, my phone rang and it was Cliff. And he was super excited. He said, Thurman, he said, you know the other day when you told me you was going to pray for me and those warts were going to come off the back of my hand? I said, yeah. He said, they're gone. And I said, you don't mean it. (laughs) That tells you where I'm living. You know, that tells, I mean, I should have jumped up and down and said, well, praise God, what else did you expect? Now, that's where we should live as Christians. You know, you should say, when I pray for you, I guarantee it's done. And then if two or three weeks they come back and say it's not done yet, said, hey, let's find out what we did wrong. Something messed up here. Guarantee we should have had our answer by now. So that's, but that's not where we live. And I didn't live there. So I was startled. And I was humbled to think that God had heard my first prayer and I had prayed and asked him on behalf of his word. And he took off a warp. But I virtually never had faith to do that again. I mean, only once or twice. In fact, I remember a young man when I was flying for the airlines as a pilot. We were on the way back from uh, uh, Frankfurt, Germany, on the way back to New York one day. And I looked over, and the engineer had a big old wart on his hand. And I looked over, and I said, hey, I said, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. I said, well, have you ever prayed and asked God to take those things off? He said, no. I said, well, I'm going to ask him to take them off, and he's going to take them off. He said, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, we don't believe him. Yeah, okay. You know how we are, right? 
But I prayed and I told him, I said, they're going to come off because I'm going to ask God to take them off in the name of Jesus and he's going to take them off. Well, it wasn't but two or three weeks later that guy called me and said, hey, Thurman. He said, you know them warts you prayed for me? They, they went away. I said, well, praise God. So slowly but surely, you begin to pray and pray in faith. And then, of course, I don't know why we're so dense. You know, I just don't understand why we are so dense. Now, you may, I may not be talking to you, but I'm certainly talking to me. I do not know why I am so dense that this, I got this wonderful book that tells what I can do, but yet I don't believe it. And, of course, mostly you find out that you don't believe it because you don't know it. You just kind of read it like a novel, and it does not become a reality to you. But after you have dwelt in the secret place of the Most High God, and then you start saying that the Lord is yours, then he tells you, he begins to tell you what he'll do for you. He said, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, do you have any idea who the fowler is? I'm telling you, that's the devil. That's the devil. Now, I'm going to tell you something that took me a lifetime almost to learn. Although I read this in the scriptures, it didn't become a revelation to me until many years later. But right here on this earth, you and I live in the first heaven. The Word of God calls this the first heaven. In the first heaven, you and I feel perfectly comfortable because we can smell it, we can see it, we can hear it. We can, all our five physical senses, we feel comfortable with something we can tangibly touch. But also in this same exact space is another heaven called the second heaven, and it's invisible. But yet in that world, that world is more real than the one you're, you can see. The invisible heaven, the second heaven, is where the spirit beings live. That's where God is. That's where the angels are. And that's where Satan and his host are. So standing right here in this room today, there is a second heaven that encompasses the same exact space that the first heaven encompasses. And in that world, there is a world very much alive and well with very much activity and you can't see it, but it's there. There is right here in this room, I can assure you, there is beings of great grandeur, magnificent beings we call angels, and they're sent to watch over us and protect us. But also there is a host of devils, demons, that are right here in this room, and they're waiting for you as a Christian to make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, they're there to get you. And I mean they're there. Now, it depends on your walk with God as to, to what level they will attack you. I've learned that the hard way. The, the greater you walk with God, the bigger will be the demons. The more powerful will be the demons. You're no threat. Most Christians are like I was most of my life. I was no threat to the devil. I will say that when I got saved, I did... Uh, the Lord did, just like he said in his word in Colossians 1, he did deliver me out of the kingdom of darkness. And he translated me into the kingdom of light. And I will realize at that time, instead of becoming a number with the devil, which is what I used to be, just a number, but I became a name. I was given a new name, and the name that I was given, he sent a couple of special forces demons to watch over me to make sure that if I made a mistake, they would get me. It's not too intense a battle with these beings until their, their goal for us at the beginning is to keep our mind blinded to the word and to keep us to becoming a casual Christian. You know, not pray for anybody in faith, 
Don't speak anything. You know, don't start stepping into the realm of faith. Don't start doing any miracles in the name of Jesus. As long as you can keep you busy about a job, making a living, they can keep you sick and afflicted or your children down or get your children on drugs. or They can do all the things they can do to keep you busy out in the tangible world. There's no real problem. But when you start stepping into the realm of faith, when you start stepping into the realm of faith, you begin to learn who you are. And I can assure you they will send, Satan will send some special forces agents to you and he will watch over you. And then when you make a mistake, I guarantee he'll get you just like that. Anytime he gets legal claim to you, he will get you. Because the greater of the faith walk that you walk in, the more powerful demons he will send to attack you. So, just get used to it. It's fun living in the faith world. It's really fun living there. But the battles are intensified greatly. But the secret is doing what the Lord told us to do right here. In this realm, if you will dwell in the secret place and say the right things, then he says he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, the devil. And from the Norsalum pestilence, which also means raging epidemic. Now, he's going to deliver you from that, providing you meet the criteria of the first two verses. You dwell in the secret place and you say the right things. The Lord will deliver you from the devil and from these raging epidemics, all these plagues. They can't touch you. You will have to have no sickness and disease. Now, this is a wonderful place to walk. I didn't walk in it for the first 45 years of my life. But the last 20 years of my life, I have walked in it. And this is, this is a problem that some people, especially doctors of theology and seminaries, have a real problem with me when I say I don't have to be sick no more. I have learned how to walk in divine health. If I've learned how to do it, guess who else can do it? Anybody that believes God can do it. But it takes faith to do it. You can't do it without great faith. Now, you can't be a casual Christian and walk where I've walked. It will not work for you. It is not easy. Where I walk is, has not been an easy task. It has not been without tremendous cost, tremendous time with God. But it has all been worthwhile. And I'm not nowhere close to where I want to be. I want to go far higher. But what you can do in faith, it, it, it'll amaze you what you can do in faith. But Jesus said in Matthew 17, if you have faith and doubt not, nothing shall be impossible with you. Nothing. I mean, I've learned to pray over everything. Everything. Just like a while ago, they brought me a bottle of water back there. And I, we started to open it. And, of course, the normal, traditional Christian, like I was most of my life, you open a bottle of water, you drink it, you go to a restaurant, you eat, you go home, you eat, drink water, do everything. Do you pray? No. You don't pray. You don't bless nothing. You just eat it. And then you wonder why you get sick. Okay. The Lord says, sanctify everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Now then, everything? Everything? You reckon he really meant that? Send everything you do. So you come home and you get up in the morning. What's the first thing you should do? Pray. Ask the Lord to protect you. Bless the day. You get up and start to have a drink of water or a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever you do. The first thing you should do is pray over it. Bless it. 
You go out to work. On the way to work, you ought to ask the Lord to bless the day, bless the people that you come in contact with, to give you revelation, wisdom, understanding, how to deal with people, how to lead somebody to Jesus, how to get somebody healed, how to do something for the kingdom of God. In the evening, when you, when, whenever you come home, after you've blessed everything, you come home for an evening meal, first thing you do should sit there whenever you grab a hold of your mate and you hug her or him or whatever and have a little intimate moment there. The first thing you do before you come together, you should ask the Lord to bless what's fixing to happen. If you're just going to kiss her, you should, Lord, let this be the best kiss she's had all day. <laughs> How many of you ever thought about doing that? Most of us have not, you know. I mean, and I'm going to tell you something, since we're all adults in here, I'm going to tell you something else. How many of you, when you go to bed at night, you ask the Lord to bless what's going to happen in the marriage bed? How many have ever asked God to bless supernaturally what happens, that you and your mate will be completely fulfilled in everything you do in that marriage bed? Most people never pray that prayer. Well, let me tell you, if you haven't, You've never enjoyed a relationship like you can enjoy after you ask God to bless the marriage bed. You will be amazed at what he'll do. That's just like Cheryl, beautiful lady, been married a couple times, and she's been out with a lot of men in her life. Whenever she and I first came together, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, bless every kiss I give her. Every kiss that we have, bless it, anoint it. After we'd been out a few times, she told me, she said, Thurman, you are the best kisser in the world. <laughs> now, for a lady that's kissed a lot of men, that's a beautiful woman, for her to make a statement like that, that's got to be something. You know why? You know why I'm the best kisser in the world to her? Because I've asked God to anoint those kisses. And he has. And see, now, you, whenever you do that with your mate, when you do that, then you'll think, wow, my husband is the best kisser in the world. Or your, your wife, you know, if she's praying that, you'll think, wow, boy, is she the best kisser in the world. But how many people that are married never ask God to bless their marriage relationship? Too many of them, right? We don't do what the Lord says. Then he says in verse 4, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shall thy trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the error that flies by day. Now, I'm going to tell you, you don't realize it, but there, that error that's flying by day, we get a little bit better picture of that in Ephesians 6.16, where Paul says that the flaming darts of the evil one, the fiery darts. Now, let me tell you whether you realize it or not, and I didn't for many years, there is an evil spirit sitting there with a flaming dart drawn pointing at you right now. He is waiting for you to make a mistake. Now, technically, he is limited by God as to when he can release that error. If the devil could release his errors at us any time he wanted to, to kill us with sickness and disease, we would all be dead because he hates us with a passion. But God has put a set of limitations. And as I have learned this, just like we're reading here, if we meet the criteria that's laid out here, God will protect us. So if he promises to do these things, to keep us from these fiery darts, these errors that 
the terror by night and the arrows that flies by day. He said, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Now, see, that's a demon of hell, walking in darkness, walking in the second heaven, this pestilence or this sickness and disease. Nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. So, these demons are highly active 24-7. You know, day and night, they're out there. And they're trying to get through to you, to kill you. He says, a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now, what in the world is he talking about? If all this destruction is going to happen all around us, why does it not come near some people? Those people are walking in faith. Those people are walking in obedience to God's word. Now, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're not walking in obedience to God's word and you're not walking in faith and you're walking in unbelief of God's word, then you are not protected by these requirements. You're not protected. And that's why so many Christians are sick and afflicted. Because we do not believe this book. We think, like I used to think, I used to think sickness and disease is just something that we have to walk in. I thought it was normal. I mean, you know, you get the flu once or twice a year, you know. Symptoms come up on you. What do you do? Oh, my goodness, honey, i got to have some whatever. Uh, well, I don't even remember the names of those things no more. But we used to keep a medicine cabinet, you know, with bottles of pills, you know, and Excedrin and all that kind of stuff because headaches and, and flus and colds and things were traditional, normal things. that just happened to everybody. And so everybody gets sick. So why should I think that I could be exempt from all this? Because I didn't know this book. And when I begin to understand what's going on and realize what I can do, then I realize I don't have to have that stuff no more. So my cabinets at home have none of that stuff. I have not had an, an Anison Excedrin pill in my cabinet for 20 plus years. You just don't know the number of people. In fact, the other day, uh, I was getting ready to teach a Tuesday night Bible study, and a lady come running in, just about 625. She said, do you all have Bible study here every Tuesday night? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, good, my sister and I were told about this place, and we want to come to Bible study tonight. But she said, does it start at 7? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, good, I got a half hour. said, I have a splitting migraine headache. And she said, I have them real regular, but said, I want to run down and see if I can have a bite to eat before time for my Bible study. And she said, maybe I'll be able to enjoy the Bible study. I said, well, honey, you don't have to go get something to eat. She said, what do you mean? I said, come over here. And she walked over, and I reached up and laid my hands on her head, and I said, you demon of pain, leave her in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, now, woman, you don't have a headache no more. She looked at me, and she said, it's gone. I said, of course it's gone. I said, you had a demon sitting on your shoulder, and he's squeezing on your head. I said, Jesus bore your pain. I mean, you don't have, as a Christian, you don't have to bear the pain. It comes from the devil. I said, I'm not trying to persuade God to do something he's reluctant to do. He bore you pain 2,000 years ago on the cross. He gave me power and authority over the devil. And I said, all I had to do is kick him out. Amen. And that woman went and had something to eat. She came back in a little while, walked in and said, Mr. Scribner, this is awesome. I still don't have a headache. I said, well, goodness gracious. <laughs> what did you expect? Now, see, what do we do when a pain comes upon us? We just bite. Did you have a question, honey? Side of me, you know, it's like something like a big lion, and it's black with uh, yellow stripes. You know, the one on the right, on the left, he he come and goes, but the one on the right stay there most of the time. 
So, you know, I, I just assume, you know, that it's just waiting for a moment to attack, you know, I just, and I just wanted to verify that. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. The devil and his demons, actually not the devil, there's only one devil, and his throne is right here on this earth. He's not in hell like some people think. Satan has not been bound in hell. He's free to roam on the earth. The kingdoms of this earth belong to him. He became legal heir to it 6,000 years ago. He became the prince of the power of the air. He became the god of this world 6,000 years ago when we gave it to him free. And he's been the god of this world ever since. And for the first 4,000 years, you'll read in the Old Testament, for 4,000 years there's not one example, not one example in the Old Testament where not one single person had power over the devil. Nobody cast out a demon. Nobody had power and authority because we were all servants of the devil. But 2,000 years ago, the king of the universe came as a man. And he was the first man that came to this earth that Satan had no claim to at all. And that's why he walked about casting out devils and healing the sick and doing all the things he did. And the devil thought he's in big trouble and he thought, all I got to do is kill him and get rid of him and then I'm okay. Well, what he didn't know was when he killed Jesus, he had committed the biggest blunder of his life. Because he killed a man that he had no claim to. Now, in Genesis, under the judicial system, you know what happens when a man takes an innocent man's life, don't you? His blood is required of him. Well, that's what Satan did. And, of course, the scriptures in 1 Corinthians clearly tells us that if the principalities and powers, which is Satan and his demons, had have known what they were doing, they would have no wise crucified the Son of Glory. But they crucified him not knowing what they were doing. They thought they were going to get rid of him. And when they did kill him on the cross, they technically destroyed themselves and their power. And that's how Jesus destroyed and overcome the forces of darkness. But he could not annihilate the devil because the devil had legal claim to the earth. So he had to leave him. God cannot be unjust even with the devil. And so by not being able to be unjust even with the devil, he had to leave him here. But he destroyed his power and completely disarmed him. And he has no power left whatsoever. The day that Jesus died on that cross, Satan thought he won the battle. But three days later, when he arose from the dead and walked out there, and I can only see him now as he walks through this earth and he reaches over and grabs the devil by the nap of the neck and throws his, throws his head down on the ground, puts his foot on his neck and takes the keys and holds the keys up and he said, now the keys of death, hell, and the grave are mine. I have been given all power and all authority in heaven and earth. And I delegate that power to the church. And then he says, now you go and walk holy before me, and you don't give no place to the devil. In fact, he said, you cast out devils and you heal the sick in my name. And I'm telling you, the church don't believe that. The church don't believe that. I didn't believe that. But Jesus told you and me to do that. But he did say, be holy, for I am holy. But the average church member is just like I was most of my life. I didn't believe it was possible for me to be holy. And the reason I didn't, because every church I'd been in, they taught me I was an unworthy sinner. And that I sinned all day, every day, and it was impossible for me to walk without sin. Until I began to read the book, and I learned that's not what the Lord says in His Word. 
I am supposed to die to sin and live unto righteousness. I am supposed to be holy because he is holy, and I am not to sin a single day in my life. I am to walk holy and pure and clean before God, and when I do, the devil has no claim to me, and he cannot touch me in anything. So if you get a hold of that, you can walk in divine health. And then when the devil tries to come up on you, you can kick him out. I mean, instead of agreeing with him when he tries to put a pain on you, just like that woman the other night that come in there, the devil had no claim to me. So when I walked up that little woman that had that demon sitting on her shoulder with him squeezing on her head with a migraine headache, I just walked up, put my hands on her head and commanded the devil to leave in the name of Jesus. I mean, he's gone, and of course, when he's gone, the pain's gone. So she was instantly healed. I was over at a home the other night. It's amazing how... Uh, a little Baptist church, four or five hundred people. This couple, they called me to come over to their house the other night because they had a problem and needed a prayer answered. And, and I told them when I got to, I said, why didn't you all call your pastor? I said, I'm not the pastor of your church. You go to another church. Why didn't you call your own pastor? It's because he don't know how to walk by faith. Good morning, honey. I told him I might have a battle on my head when I turned your alarm off. What is going on this morning? <laughs> but she was a tired girl, and when the alarm didn't wake her up, by the way, stand up a minute. Come up here a minute. In fact, come up here just a minute. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. I told them what I did this morning when your alarm was going off and you were so tired since you worked all night and early and you didn't even wake up. I told them, I said, I just turned your alarm off and left you in bed. So I said, she may be mad when she gets here, but I let, I let her sack in. That's why, because I knew you were tired. But anyway, this is Cheryl. This is my new bride. And uh, praise the Lord. Some, some of you wanted to see her or meet her. Well, this is her. So praise the Lord. But anyway... Uh, she got here a lot earlier than I thought she would. <laughs> I figured she'd sleep in until at least noon. Uh, but anyway, praise the Lord. When you realize the spiritual authority that you have and what you can do in the name of Jesus, but it'll only work for you, only work for you when you're walking holy before God. Now, that's another thing that we miss. We think that we can go out and do the things the world does, you know, lie, steal, cheat in the workplace and do all these kind of things. And we won't, there's no consequence, but there is a consequence. Just like, I mean, right here, I'll tell you a little story about uh, a couple that right here in the Dallas Forward Metroplex uh, about five years ago, they asked me to come to their home and the woman was having tremendous physical ailments. Her husband had graduated from the seminary and appeared to be a tremendous man of God. He got into the ministry for a little while and it didn't work for him. And so he didn't know who he was and the power that was his. So he got out of the ministry and went back into the business world. He had a very good education. He had a, uh, a Ph.D. and everything. So he was very well educated. So he was able to get in a big corporation and make a lot of money. And this, his wife was sick. And I, I went over, I sat down with them, I talked with them, I tried to make sure all their sins were confessed and everything, and I could not get that woman healed. I tried everything, and, and they, they guaranteed me that all of their sins were confessed. And after about four or five years, I told them one day, I said, hey, 
They had been everywhere. They had been to the finest doctors. They had tried everything. This woman had had tremendous surgeries. Nothing worked. She got worse. One day I told them. I said, one of you two is lying to me. One of you two either are living in sin or you're not believing the word of God. And any of it is sin. I said, somebody's doing something wrong. I said, now, I don't know, and God hasn't revealed to me, but I said, he's the healer. And since God's the healer, him and the devil both know exactly what y'all are doing. So I said, you're either not walking in faith, although you tell me you are. You're either not walking in faith, and that's sin, or you're doing something. One of you is doing something that you've got to be setting sin that's destroying you. <clears throat> Just a few week, few months ago, the woman called me and said, Thurman, she was devastated. She said, I got a hold of our checking account, and we have another account I didn't know about. And she said, there's been several checks written for several thousand dollars out of that account each month to another woman. And she said, I confronted my husband with this, and he has a mistress. You think God knew that all the time? I think he did. Now I know why I couldn't get the woman healed. Because her husband, which is the spiritual head of the house, was living in sin with another woman when he was out of town. Is that sad? But does it happen? Yeah, do people think they're getting by with it? They think they're getting by with it. But they are not. It's amazing what brings sickness and disease into the church today. But it's sin. It's sin. Now then, the Lord so far, if you have, if you will make Him the Most High God your dwelling place and you'll walk holy before Him and do all these things, He's telling you the things you will be able to walk in. And so far, He's protected you from the fowler. He's protected you from the, the terrible diseases. He's protected you from uh, everything the devil can throw at you day or night, all the pestilences and the destruction. And he even says, a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. I mean, you're totally protected as a Christian. Only with your eyes will you see and behold the reward of the wicked. Now, what is the reward of the wicked? All these things we just read. Now, then, you can be a Christian and still be wicked. You can still be a Christian and be wicked. Because if you're living in the devil's world, if you're a Christian... And how many, how many people do you know that in the church, this church is probably no different than any ever, I've ever seen, but the average church has about 30 to 50% of their members come to church on a regular basis. And then about 15 to 20% of them, unless they got a pastor like Robert Morris that preaches so much on blessings and giving. Now, he's done a good job in this church of teaching that. So this church may be a notch above the average church, but the average church I've been associated with all my life, somewhere between 15 and 25% of the congregation are tithers. The rest of them just give a little. You know, they, they may live in a $200,000 house and drive a $40,000 car, but when they come to church on Sunday, you know, they give their tithe, which is a $20 bill. Let me tell you, if they're living in all that for 200 bucks a week, I need to learn what they're doing. I can't do that. <laughs> But 
Y'all understand where I'm coming from, right? I can't do that. Not on $200 a week. Now, if his tithes was 200 a week, then I can understand, you know, him living there with uh, maybe $2,000 a week, living in a two or $300,000 house and, and driving a $40,000 car and all that kind of stuff. But to give $20 and that's supposed to be a tithe, forget it. He's, not, he's lying to God. And he's opening the door. You know, again, he's not doing what the Lord told him to do. And then he says, Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. Now, because you've done all these things, there shall no evil befall you. If you made the Lord, the Most High God, your dwelling place, and because you have done all the things, you've made him your refuge, no evil shall befall you. Now, evil, when you want to know what evil is, the Lord tells us in John 10.10, 10, very clearly he puts a dividing line right there in that scripture in John 10.10. 10. He said the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So anything that's stealing, killing, and destroying comes from the enemy, the thief. But he says in the second part of that same verse, John 10.10, 10, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. So if you're a Christian and you're not living in the abundant life, you need to check out your life and see what you're not doing right. You're not doing something right according to the Word. Now, how many people do you know? I mean, I have them as a pastor. I have people come all the time say, I need you to uh, pray for me for a job or whatever. Or I just can't seem to make it. Or I'm sick. I need to be healed or whatever. Then when I sat down with them and start talking and asking them, well, let's see where your sin is. I mean, some people that offense. But that's okay. If I want to get them healed and get the requirements met for them, they've got to straighten their act up. Well, they said, but I mean, I, I, Thurman, I mean, I'm in big trouble from what you're saying because my husband, he's not a believer. I said, yeah, you're right. That's why the Lord told you not to be unequally yoked. I said, now... How long have you been married to that man? Well, 10 years. When did you become a Christian? Well, 25 years ago. Okay, so you became a Christian 25 years ago when you were a little bitty girl. And when you got to be whatever, uh, let's just say they become a Christian when they was 10. And then 10 years later, they met a boy when they was 20 years old. And they thought because he was the finest quarterback on the football team in college and all that stuff, that he would be perfect. And they pursued that boy and they married that boy. And he was not a believer, and now they wonder why their world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know? Well, let me tell you, a whole lot of the guys you meet in church is not much better. You know, a whole lot of them not much better. Because, you know, uh, and then when I minister to people, you do not realize, and I didn't realize, how many people that, I, uh, that was like this in the church that are having the problems they're having, and even with their children, when I ask the question, did you have a sexual relationship with your spouse before you got married? And they said, yes. Oh. Do you realize that puts you under a curse? You had sinned. You had fell from grace. And you fell back under the law. Now the devil has legal claim to you. And then you have a problem like you see people, all kinds of problems. And I've put a pattern to it now. I've checked it out many, many, many times. People do not realize that whenever they... Let's say, for instance, a man and a woman gets married and say they were pure. They were clean, which is not very many like that today. Very few. But there are a few. But they are very few and far between. 
But when they do get married, and say they're married for five years, and say they have one or two children, and they're normal, and then they have the third child, and they, instead of having a normal child, they have a handicapped or a retarded child. And sometimes you'll go back and find out that that man had been living in an adulterer's affair with another woman between that time. Or he'd been doing something wrong. Or she'd been doing something. Okay, praise the Lord. <clears throat> we start off here again. Uh, we're going to continue on here to finish up this psalm that we were reading here, what the Lord has promised us under the law. Uh, he says that no evil will befall us, neither shall any plague come near to our dwelling in verse 10. So, if under the law, no evil, no devil shall come near us, or no plague or no sickness shall come nigh to our dwelling. There must be something wrong with what we're doing today in the church, because I don't know a single church, I've not been to a single church anywhere that didn't have a lot of people that were sick and afflicted. There's something wrong. You know, well, I know what it is. We don't know how to walk in faith. We have not understood, just like I didn't, because the first 45 years of my life, when I should have been the healthiest and the most vibrant that I could be, that's when I was the sickest. But I might also tell you right here, when I talk about what I'm saying right here, I gave an example down at a church. I spoke at a church in downtown Dallas Wednesday night, and I told a story about a woman uh, that was about 70 uh, last year when I went to Manny, Louisiana. And this woman, uh, she was a beautiful woman. She was in a wheelchair. And after three nights of teaching, I went up to her to minister to her. And she said, I've been raised in a Catholic church, and I've never heard this kind of teaching. She said, you have really inspired my faith. And uh, I said, ma'am, would you mind telling me what happened or how long you've been in a wheelchair? She said, well, I've been confined to it completely for about two years. But she said, I started having to have it a couple of years before that. I started getting weak. And uh, I said, are you married? She says, no, my husband is deceased. And uh, I said, well, when your husband died, were you perfectly normal? She said, oh, yes, I was perfectly normal. So I never had any weakness or anything. And uh, I said, well, did you change anything in your life that you know of? That, that did, you, did you begin to sin any particular way before you began to start getting weak? And she said, well, I guess I never thought about that. She said, I'm just, I'm just getting older. I said, no, ma'am. At 70, you should not be in a wheelchair for four years, two years solid and two years in and out. I said, at 65, 66 years old, you should be strong and vibrant and be able to do lots of things. So it's amazing what we just think is going to happen to us. I mean, you know, when, when you get to be 50, if you're not careful, you start getting things from the mail saying, you know, so many people over 50 need a motorized wheelchair. In case you need one, we got one. <laughs> and people over 62, when you start signing up for your Social Security, they automatically start sending you things. You know you need this extra insurance because, you know, every, 35% of all the people over 62 spend 30% of their life in a wheelchair. I mean, or in a nursing home or whatever. The devil is setting you up for a fall. And you don't realize that you're children of the king. And you take all these Christian people that are spending all this time in nursing homes and afflicted and can't walk and everything else, just like this woman, she thought it was just a way of life. I said, could you tell me what you might have started doing that was sin that put you in this wheelchair? 
Now, see, we don't believe the Scripture when the Lord says, don't err from the truth. Don't sin, because sin brings forth death. See, we don't believe that. If we did, we would stop sinning. You know, if we thought we were going to do something that's sin, we wouldn't do it. I mean, I wouldn't. Would you? I mean, just like I know, I'm smart enough to know. Now, some of you may do this, and if you do it, I don't want you to receive it as an offense, but you're just stupid. <laughs> if you smoke cigarettes, you're stupid. You know, I'm telling you, you are. You know, if you smoke cigarettes, everybody knows that cigarettes brings forth death. I mean, not only does it bring forth death, but it brings forth a, a poverty also. You know, if you're smoking cigarettes a pack a day, you're spending three, four, five dollars a day, and that's uh, 30, 35, 40 bucks a week you could be spending for something else, and it's also destroying your lungs. And so, just like the sign used to put the beautiful woman, you know, up on the sign up there says, Baby, you've come a long way. You know, she's got the long cigarettes, you know. Well, I heard Dr. Dobson say one time, Babies, y'all have come a long way. Y'all have now exceeded men in lung cancer. You know, you've come a long way, babies. You know, how many people that smoke are carrying a child in their womb? And knowing that what goes into the mother is going to go into the child. And so you bring a baby into the world addicted to nicotine or with a very good possibility that they're going to be addicted to nicotine because you smoked all the time you're carrying that little critter in your womb. You didn't give them a chance. You drink soda pops. You drink carbonated drinks while you're carrying a child. You know, and you drink one carbonated 10-ounce, 12-ounce drink, and it takes 40-plus glasses of clean, pure water to bring the acidic level back to normal in your body, drinking one soda pop. You know, do we still drink them? Unfortunately, we do. You know, there's so many things we don't know about the body and how the things messes up, just like alcohol. How many people will drink alcohol carrying a baby in their womb? And they wonder why the child is born addicted to alcohol. Or especially what's really bad is when a mother will carry a child in her womb and she'll go ahead and be on these wild, violent drugs. But yet, and then the babies are born seriously addicted to drugs. It's terrible what we do. You know, so, but I mean, I can understand a little bit more the world doing these things, but Christians, I don't understand this. I just don't understand why we do those things because sin brings forth death. So anyway, this woman, I asked her if there was anything she had done. And finally, after sitting there with her quite a while, talking to her, I found out what her problem was. After her husband died three or four years, she got lonely. And there was a meter reader come by the house to read the meter. Well, when he come by to read the meter, you know, well, she sitting out there on the front porch one day, and she invited him in for a cup of tea or something, you know, whatever. And after three or four meetings, you know, they became very intimate. You know, a man comes in the house, has a cup of tea, a lonesome woman, you know. So guess what happened? They wind up in bed together. And so they start sinning, okay? One time a month, not too bad. But then first thing you know, he's over there twice a month, you know. So now then, slowly but surely, her body begins to deteriorate. And after two or three years of this, she begins to get weak and afflicted. And now then... She's down in a wheelchair and can't walk. Is he still coming by? Yeah, he's still coming by. They're still having sex in the home, yet she's in a wheelchair. But she can still have sex in bed with him. And so she doesn't realize what she's doing to her body. I told her, I said, ma'am, that's what your problem is. You've been sinning 
And in your sin, you've opened the door to the demonic world. And the devil's come in and he's slowly killing you. Now, he's doing it gently and slowly. So you just th- you're just buying it because you think that's just something that you have to put up with. That your body, because of age, is just deteriorating. And so I said, that's, you're just buying it and you're yielding to the devil. And I said, he's going to take you out prematurely. And she said, well, what can I do? I said, simple, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Stop sinning. Stop seeing this guy. Stop having sex with him. Ask God to forgive you, and he will. Then I'll drive out the devil, and I'll lay hands on you, and Jesus will heal you. I said, he's a merciful God. Aren't we grateful? So anyway, I got her to repent. I laid my hands on that woman. And you talk about a gracious God. Here is a woman that had been sinning in this fornication for several years. And when she repented, our king is so merciful and he so forgave her. When I reached out and I said, ma'am, now could I take your hand and ask you to get out of that wheelchair? And I reached out and took her hand and she stood up and that woman walked off right there. She was instantly healed. A year later, which was in March, this last year, I was invited back down there to Manny, Louisiana. And that same woman was still coming to that church, and she was still totally healed, still walking, just as well as she could be. And while I was there, now there was another man that day when I was there. In fact, the first night I was there, I I mean, it's amazing what I'm getting to see the Lord do. He's just awesome. But there was a man they brought in. Uh, in fact, several people knew about that woman's healing. So the word got out. It's a small community, not a great big town. So uh, many people, other churches heard about this miracle and some of the other things that happened. So we had several people there that night from different denominations, different churches. <clears throat> if there's anything that will bring the body of Christ together, it's the healing power of Jesus. Amen. He, will, he can get their attention. You don't have to be Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational. It's bring them. I mean, God will bring them in. So anyway, they had brought a man in. There were several people there. One of the women, one of the first women I prayed for, she was shaking. And I asked her, I said, what's your problem? She said, I have Parkinson and lupus. And I asked her if she had her sins all confessed. And she said, after hearing you teach tonight, yes, I have them all confessed. I reached over and touched her in the name of Jesus and commanded the devil to leave her. And immediately her shaking stopped. And, of course, who knows what happened. But anyway, I prayed for her and commanded her lupus to be healed and everything in Jesus' name. And she walked away. And then I walked up here on the front. And with this man, uh, I later found his name was Johnny Brumfield. And uh, he was a black man from the Baptist church. And uh, I walked up and I said, sir, how can I pray for you? And he said, well, this June, it'll be two years ago that a tractor ran over my legs. And he said it crushed both of my knees. And he said, I have not been able to walk since. He said, uh, I have uh, He said I have a problem. Uh, I've been to the doctor. They've uh, done surgery on me and everything. But the doctor says I'll never walk again. Now, I mean, normally the average person buys that. If the doctor tells you you'll never walk again, you disagree with it. And that's the way we live. It's, a, it's amazing how we believe what the doctors say and not what the Word says. So anyway, I asked him, I said, well, do you believe God will heal you? He said, yes, sir. He said, after I've heard you teach the Word of God the last couple of hours, he said, I believe the Lord's going to heal me tonight. Well, I said, "That's you're saying the right thing. You're, you're, you're in the right place. You're saying the right things. I said, so let me quote a couple of scriptures, which I did, powerful scriptures, as many of them in the Word of God. 
that promise you that the Lord will do anything you ask him for, just anything. He's given us a blank check as a church, just over and over and over in his word. So I reached up and laid my hands on the man and quoted a couple of powerful scriptures and asked the Father in Jesus' name to restore his knees. And I thanked him for doing it. I said, now, sir, do you believe God? He said, I do. I said, okay, good. I said, what's all that stuff I feel under your riches? He said, that's the steel supports I've got around my legs so I can stand up so somebody can help me walk. I said, well, you don't need those no more. I said, pull your britches leg up and let's take all that stuff off. So he pulled his britches leg up and he unstrapped all that steel and he throwed it all off out there on the floor. I said, now then, take my hand and in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He took my hand and I pulled him up and as soon as I did and the weight went on those knees, he said, oh my goodness, it hurts. I said, I can assure you it's going to hurt. I said, I can assure you the devil is going to make it hurt. But I said, don't believe what you feel. Believe what Jesus said we can do and take a step. And so I gave him a tug. I said, take a step. So he took one step. And when he took that step, I said, come on, take another one. So he took another one and then another one. And when he got three steps, I turned him loose. I said, you're on your own. Go. And he had a podium right here, and he was sitting right over, and he walked around this podium three times. And after he walked around it three times, he broke right down that center aisle, and he ran plumb to the back of the church as hard as he could run. And then he come running back up there, and he is screaming with his hands raised, saying, God is awesome. God is awesome. How many know God's awesome? Yeah, he's awesome. But he requires faith, and he requires you believe these promises. Now, if we're not seeing these kind of things on a regular basis in our churches, there's something wrong with us. We need to be seeing these kind of things in the workplace. You need to be praying for people in faith out there in the world. And if you're not seeing God answer your prayers, you're living where I lived far too many years of my life. Because when I stepped into the realm of faith, I started praying for people for everything. I started doing nothing without prayer. Everything. I do everything in prayer. I mean, in the workplace. I mean, just like, can you imagine that you're telling people and you, they make you a manager of a place and a new place and you send you to a place, put you over 30 or 40, 50 people, and you start opening every morning with a prayer. You're the manager, telling people about what Jesus will do, quoting the Word of God, making statements like Jesus is the Savior. He'll save anybody. I don't care how wicked you've been. He'll heal anybody. He does miracles. Every time we have a problem here, first thing we do is pray over it. And then we get to see God do mighty things. And you start doing that. And some of the people think, and these are Christian people now, some of them. And they think, oh, my gosh, I got a Bible-thumping boss. I guess I better find me a new job. These are Christians. Why do they think there's something wrong with you? Because in the church where they're going, they never see the pastor or nobody else do a miracle. Not even in the name of Jesus. So if you're going to church all your life and it's just a normal thing, you never see a prayer answered, you never see a miracle, why should you think some crazy guy at work is going to get to see these things? Something wrong with this guy. But after about three months, I'm up in the cafeteria one morning about 7 o'clock. I mean, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, you know. I mean, I tell people about Jesus everywhere. So I'm sitting up in the cafeteria, about 40 people in the cafeteria, and a little woman, 64 years old, walks in the door over there. And I look over and I said, I said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? Well, she said, my arms got to hurt me real bad last week. And so they sent me to the doctor and the doctor said, I've got carpal tunnel in both arms. 
I said, well, at that time, I had never heard the term carpal tunnel. I didn't know what it was. I said, so what can they do about it? She said, well, at my age, she said, I'm 64. And she said, at my age, they said nothing, but they gave me some medication. And they told me I'd have to take this the rest of my life. And she said, it's making me so dizzy. I can't hardly work. But she said, I've got to work at least another year because I can't afford to retire till I'm at least 65. And then I make a crazy statement. She's standing over in the door. I said, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? Well, she said, gee, I would love it. I said, come over here to my table. Now, all of a sudden, it gets very quiet in the cafeteria. <laughs> some of these people are Christians, but some of them are not. But nobody in that cafeteria has ever seen God do a healing or a miracle. Now, what a shame. This little lady comes walking over to my table. I reach up and put my left hand on her arm. And I hold my right hand up and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, that I could lay hands on the sick and they all get well. Now, I'm telling you, it takes a doctor of theology to mess that one up. I mean, I'm telling you, you've got to be super educated to mess up. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Only PhDs can mess up something. A guy like me, a simple little engineer like me, can't possibly mess that up. So I just did what the Lord says. And I added a little to it. I put my hand on her and held my hand. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you said in Mark 16, 18, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But I said, Lord, I ask you to do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I said, thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written in your word. Instantly. Right before everybody's eyes, her dizziness went away. Her arms quit hurting. She could close her fist. Everything, her carpal tunnel was instantly healed and delivered. And this woman goes to jumping around the cafeteria, screaming and praising God. Her pain's gone. Her dizziness is gone. And so I just sat there and watched her for a few minutes. And I said, well, Jesus just done it for you. I told you he would. And so she's jumping and screaming and everything and praising God. And so while they're having a good time, I go back to finish my cereal. You know, I finish my bowl of cereal. Now, I get my cereal eight and I run downstairs to my office and I'm sitting down there. And one of the guys that was going to look for another job, one of my leads, he comes walking in at attention, standing there and got the most dumbfounded look on him I've ever seen on a human being in my life. He said, Thurman, I know that woman. And I know you, she's worked here for years. And he said, I stayed and talked to her after you left. I said, that woman's really healed. I said, well, of course she's healed. It was Jesus. I told you that's what Jesus does best. I said, he does wonderful things. He said, Thurman, I've been a Christian all my life. I've never seen nothing like this. I said, what a shame. What a shame. You don't believe God. He said, Thurman, that woman's healed. <laughs> okay. Last time I checked, Jesus is still a healer. So, you know, he did. Did he say lay hands on the sick and they'll get well? Why don't you do that once in a while? You know, if you don't do that, guess what? Nothing's going to happen. But if you start praying in faith, I mean, you're right here in this church. Y'all got a big church with lots of people that you know that's sick. Next time you see one that's sick, you go in there and say, you got all your sins confessed? You want to confront them first. Make sure, because see, their sin may only be unbelief. If they say, well, of course, I'm not living in no kind of sin. I'm not lying, stealing, cheating, using any bad words or nothing like that. Of course, I'm a Christian and I come to this church every time the doors open. Then said, why don't you repent for unbelief? What do you mean unbelief? I believe God's word. Well, no, you don't. If you did, 
we'd already have you healed. What do you mean? Well, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, and say, let's look at this verse right here. I want to show you what Jesus said. Jesus said right here in Matthew 18, 19, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now then, obviously you don't believe that. Because if you believe that, you'd already be healed. You wouldn't be sick. Will you repent for your unbelief? And they look at that. Now they've got a choice to make. If Jesus said, if two of you on earth agreed about anything you're asking for, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. Do you think he meant that? So then why don't you use that pretty often? I mean, if there's two of you and you're on earth, I mean, after all, now, I don't know if you're out there in a shuttle somewhere out there in space, it might not work for you. But he did say, if you're on earth. But he left us plenty that'll work out there too. So see, he didn't, he, he limited, he did limit our power to earth. You know, I used to question the Lord. I said, Lord, why is it, why is it that so many times you said on earth? You've limited our power to own earth. And then one day he gave me a revelation from the word. He said, son, I have no limitations. Everywhere I speak, it works. But he said, since I put the same power in you that I put in Jesus, if I hadn't limited your power to the earth, you kids would have got a hold of this. You would have messed up the cosmos. (laughs) See, we do a pretty good job on the earth, don't we? Are messing it up. But can you imagine if God had not limited our prayers to the earth realm? What we might have been able to do. Goodness. We might have been able to throw the moon out of kilter and cover the earth with water or something. Who knows? But anyway, he limited our power to on earth. I'm serious. You don't realize the power you have in prayer. You just don't realize the power you've been given in prayer. Because as I have learned these things and taken these things, when you see somebody, and you'll get to where, after you get to where you believe the Word just like it's written, you'll start praying in faith for people, won't you? And when you start praying in faith, young lady, what happens? You see miracles. miracles. It's not limited just to me, is it? Did it bless your socks off the first time you all saw God answer a prayer? Sure it does. And so, and He does such wonderful things. And so when you realize this is what the Lord wants us to be doing. He wants us to be about his business. He wants people to know that he lives because freely he's given you this power. And then he tells you and me, freely give it away. And we think, well, God, I'm not sure you're going to do this. I mean, I need to pray here. Oh, God, if it be your will, please, Lord, do something. And he says, oh, you kids make me sick. (laughs) Y'all make me sick. I mean, it's a good thing I can't be made sick. But he says, I vomit you out of my mouth. Because of your unbelief of my word, my promises. But anyway, if we will do these things, you'll get to see wonderful things happen. Now, after I prayed in faith for that woman and laid hands on her in the cafeteria that morning, and the Lord took away that problem, it was three months later she came walking in my office. She said, Mr. Scrivener, you remember the exact words you said that morning when you prayed for me? I said, no, ma'am. I don't, but I said, what difference does it make? Jesus healed you. She said, oh, no, this is what you said. You said, Father, in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I said, Edith, okay, so what's the big deal? I said, he healed you back yonder three months ago. What's the deal? She said, well, it's a big deal. Uh, She said, this last few weeks I've noticed, she said, I've had a hernia for years. And she said, I've noticed the hernia was gone. So she said, I went to the doctor to have it checked. 
And said, sure enough, there's not a sign of it there. It's gone. And said, while I was there, they'd done a complete physical on me. And she said, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, there's not one single thing wrong with me. Now then, I learned right there to pray in faith from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. I learned there in faith to pray and ask the Lord to do a Jesus overhaul on people from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. So whenever I learned that God's a faith God, and I learned that when I just asked, Lord, I ask you to heal the carpal tunnel or deliver, the, make the, the demon go away and heal the carpal tunnel, then that's all he can do. If she's got a whole bunch of more things that needs to be done, he can't do them because I didn't ask in faith. See, you have to ask God in faith to do whatever you want him to do. So don't limit him to one thing. Let me tell you, he's not limited in power. And so when you get a hold of what you can do in the name of Jesus, you'll start doing things in faith, expecting the Lord to do what he promised he would do. So when it comes to these kind of things like kicking out carpal tunnel and things, it's a, it's just a demonic spirit. And so when, you, when the devil leaves, then the people get healed. But now, when you start doing these things, be careful. Make sure you're walking holy and make sure you're walking in belief. Because I'll give you an example of just the other day. I went over to a, a pastor's conference on a uh, morning here in Arlington, and a, a man went with me, and he's an assembly of God, and he's a great man of God, and I've known him now for a couple of years, and his faith has really grown in the past couple of years since I've met him, because we've talked a lot about the Word of God. So the other morning, we we're going to this pastor's conference. We walked up into this building, and there sits a man on the steps going upstairs where we've got to go, and he's got carpal tunnel sleeves on both arms. And I walked up there and I said, what's wrong with you, sir? You got carpal tunnel? He said, yes. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, well, good. I said, you don't have to have that if you don't want it. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you're a Christian. Jesus defeated the forces of darkness on the cross 2,000 years ago. I said, so you don't have to have it. I said, it's just a demon. I said, I'll kick him out if you want to get well. He said, well, I'd love to get well. I said, okay. I started to reach and put my hands on him and this man with me. His name was Don, and he said, Thurman, can I lay hands on him with you? I said, are you ready? He looked at me and said, well, yeah. I said, no, no, you're not ready. He said, I am ready. I said, no, there's doubt. He said, I'm ready. I said, okay, put your hands on him with me. So he put his hands on him. I rebuked the demon of carpal tunnel and commanded it to leave in the name of Jesus. Instantly, the man could make a tight fist in both hands. The devil left. Wow. He said, this is awesome. There's no more pain in my wrist. He said, my arms were killing me. I said, no, sir. Just a demon. I said, but Jesus gave us all power over the demon. So I said, all you got to do is kick him out. And so he took the sleeves off and he was just awestruck. He was just, wow. He said, this is awesome. I said, see, I told you, you didn't have to have it unless you wanted to have it. So anyway, we went upstairs and we had a pastor's conference all afternoon and listened to several speakers and everything. And then we go home. We get home about four or five o'clock that afternoon and about one o'clock in the morning Don woke up his wrists were killing him by 1.30 they were hurting so bad and then he said Lord what did I do wrong what is this pain and the Holy Spirit revealed to him that the demon that I cast out of that man came into him because of his unbelief his doubt and so he repented for his unbelief commanded, according to Luke 10, 19, and 20, for that demon to leave him 
and instantly the demon left and his pain was gone. And he has not had a single pain with it since. So you see how simple it is to open a door to the devil. And all it takes is a little unbelief. Now, this man's a man of God. You know, he believes God. And he goes to a good church. And he's written lots of Bible uh, lessons. He's really knowledgeable in the Holy Spirit. But his faith level was not where it needed to be. So by not having the faith that he needed, that little bit of doubt, that demon that I cast out of that man, that when he left him, he went right into him. And this is what I'm telling you. You need to learn these things. Because when you start doing things in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to do them in faith if you want to walk free. Now, if you do something and don't do it in faith, you're going to open the door to that devil to come to you. And he's going to get you. And he's going to torment you. He's going to give you lots of troubles. But walking in faith is lots of fun. When you learn how to walk in it, right, Brittany? Yes, walking in faith is lots of fun. I mean, you can just see God do awesome things. But you've got to realize you've got to do it just exactly like the Lord says now. When he says that no evil shall befall us and none of that stuff, then he says, no, after no evil, no plague shall come nigh to your dwelling. And verse 11, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, this is only if you're an obedient son or daughter. You've got to make God the most high your dwelling place. As long as you're walking in that dwelling place in obedience, then those angels are all around you and walking and, and protecting you. But you start talking trash. You start talking sin. You start talking sickness and disease. That's not the Word of God. And your angels will leave you. You know, those guardian angels will leave you. You need to speak only the words if you want them to stay. He will give them charge over you and they'll keep you in all your ways. And then he says, they shall bear you up in your hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now then, let me tell you, if you're walking in obedience to, what, to the word, what the angels will do for you if you call upon them. A couple of years ago, I was sheetrocking a two-story house that I had bought. I was renovating a home I'd bought two, two years ago. And uh, I have a high-lift truck that I built and designed myself that will go up about 10 feet, so in the air with a hydraulic system on it, but I used it to pull a, a gooseneck trailer, so I've got a two-by-two hole in the center of the bed with a plate that comes off so that I can put a gooseneck over in there so I can pull a gooseneck trailer, or I put the plate on it, and I can lift it up, raise it up, and lift things up like sheetrock or shingles or whatever and put them on the roof of a house. So anyway, I had been pulling a trailer, and I forgot to put the plate back on the truck, on the bed. So I got a two-by-two hole there. Well, I go over to get some sheetrock, and I put the sheetrock on there, and I get about uh, 20 or 30 sheets, and I take them over. You know how they come to to a bundle, and I was carrying those. I raised the truck up to the second floor, and I was stepping off the truck into the house through a hole, big hole we had in the end there, and I was carrying two sheets of sheetrock and laying them down there, come back, get two more sheets, carry them in there, and put them in there. Everything worked fine until I got to the last two. When I got to the last two, when I picked them up, the hole's showing. Now, I don't happen to look down, so I take a step, and when a 170-pound man takes a step, and you're 10 foot above the ground, and there's nothing there but air, let me tell you, you can fall through that pretty quick. So my right leg went through that hole. As my right leg went through that hole, of course, my left leg was trailing along behind me, and since the hole's only two by two, I mean, it hung my left leg right below my kneecap, and it ripped a three-inch piece of meat completely off of my leg, plumb to the bone. 
Now, as I fell through that hole, I screamed, Jesus, help me. I mean, it's just a normal thing. You know, the Word of God's in you. You scream, Jesus, help me. Instead of using a word of profanity, like a lot of people do, you know, you'll hear people say something. Or if the guy, you might hear something, some guy say, oh, Jesus. But if they use it in a word of profanity, then it don't work for you. But if you know you're walking in obedience to the Word when you scream, Jesus, help me. Did he promise to send his angels and give them charge over me? He sure did. So let me tell you, I know that all of you will know that I didn't have an angel protect me. This was just me because I'm in good shape. You know that any 170-pound man, when he's falling through a hole like that, all he's got to do when he throws his arms out and he hits right there, any normal guy in good shape can just do this and shoot yourself all the way back up through that hole, right? <laughs> oh, y'all don't believe that either, huh? <laughs> Believe me, I didn't believe that either, but that's exactly what happened. When I screamed, Jesus, help me, of course, I, when I realized I was falling, I turned loose of those two sheets of sheetrock, and of course, they hit right on the deck of the truck, standing straight up on edge, and as I fall through that hole at 90 miles an hour and scream, Jesus, help me, I throw my arms out like this, and of course, a tube of two hits just about right there. My whole body goes through, and when I do that, I feel myself do this. And as I do, I come right back up out of that hole, completely through the hole, and I'm laying on the deck of the truck just like that, in time to reach up and catch the two sheets of sheetrock, and they don't even have time to follow me. <laughs> what did the Lord say He will do for you? He'll send His angels to give them charge over you, and they'll pick you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Did He say that? Yes. So if you cry out to Him, what is the Lord obligated to do? To do what He said. So you have no fear. You cry out, Jesus, help me. He does that. And, of course, when you come back up on top of the deck there and you're holding that, the angels have picked you up and set you down. You're safe, everything. And then when your nephew comes out and says, goodness, what happened to you? And I said, well, I fell through this hole. Well, it's hard to grasp how did you get back up on the deck. Well, it's real simple. Jesus sent an angel, and he picked me up and laid me back down here. So, And then you look down, and all the skin's gone off your leg and blood's flowing everywhere. Well, now then you either believe the word when the Lord says in Psalm 103, which is just a few chapters ahead of where Psalm 91 was, he said, not only do I forgive all of your iniquities, but I heal all of your problems, all of your diseases and everything. I'm your healer. Now then, do you believe that? Well, if you do believe that, then instead of going to a doctor, you have the best physician in the universe, and he's available 24-7, and he don't charge. And that's what I like the best. I like it. I don't have to. I don't have to go nowhere. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to have my insurance card. I don't have to pay money up front. All I got to do is just trust Jesus. Amen. So I reach down and look, and my legs tore all to pieces. Blood's running everywhere, and I just say, Lord, I am so grateful that you're my healer. So thank you, Lord, for putting the skin back on my leg. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. And of course where all the loose skin had been ripped down at the bottom. I went ahead and grabbed a hold of that and kind of peeled it off, you know. <laughs> Don't faint. I'm sorry. <laughs> I may be a little crude, but anyway, I peeled off that loose skin and pulled my sock back up over to kind of help contain the blood, and I thought, let's go back to work. And so we went to work, and we worked all day, and at the end of the day, I get home. Of course, a lot of blood in my shoe and my sock, and I took everything off, took a shower, and cleaned everything up, and I said, Lord, I'm certainly grateful that you're my healer. I'm grateful that you promised to take care of everything, and you told me anything I asked the Father in the name of Jesus, you will do. 
So, Lord, I want to thank you for completely healing my leg without a scar. By the way, Lord, I don't even want a scar. I want it to be healed perfect because he did say you can ask him anything. And so I don't understand what I didn't understand about anything for so many years. <laughs> so anyway, when I thanked him for doing that, well, then I put a, one of those stickless bandages over the top of it. And then I taped it real good with tape. So if it did bleed a little at night, it wouldn't bleed on my sheets because I don't like to have to wash sheets every night. And so, anyway, uh, I went back to work. And, of course, after a week, at the, at the end of a week, my leg was swelled. I could hardly get a shoe on. My toes were black. I had a great big round red spot around my leg. And, of course, I went and preached on Sunday, no problem. And come back that night, and I was sitting there with a pair of short britches on, which I hardly ever do that. But that night I did have because of my leg problem. And I was sitting there, and my son-in-law walked in, and he works in a hospital and he looked down and he says, my goodness, what did you do to that leg? He saw that big bandage on it, you know, and he said, well, I, said, well, I you know, tore a little meat off of it. But I said, it's okay. Jesus is healing it. He said, Thurman, you got blood poison in that leg. I said, no, no, Toby, I don't have blood poison. He said, sure you do. He said, look at that great big round red mark all around that thing. And he said, look at your foot. Look how it swelled and your toes are black. The circulation's cut off. He said, Thurman, I'm going to take you to the doctor over to the emergency hospital right now. I said, no, you're not. I said, I have the best doctor in the world and his name is Jesus. I said, he promised to heal everything I have. And I said, he don't need no help. Well, now see, this is where you separate the faith people from the people that say they're faith people. You know, this is the difference. I'm telling you. Now, just like uh, Brother Jeff said there a while ago, you know, you'll hear me say some things that the typical Christian don't walk in this. But I didn't either most of my life. But now I know what he can do. After you see him put your granddaughter back together and see him put Kelly back together, like I saw him put those two little girls back together and heal them so quickly, I'm telling you, I believe Jesus can do anything. Anything. Not just something. He is the king of the universe, folks. And all you got to do is trust him. Now, this is where it really comes in. Can I believe he will do it for me? Well, I know he will. So, I'm standing in faith. And so, of course, every day, you know, uh, I told my son-in-law finally, I said, if you hadn't got something good to say, Toby, just go home. You know, I don't need you here speaking these negative curses over me. But anyway, he leaves. He thought I was crazy, as usual. But anyway, uh, he goes home and I stand in faith and by the next Sunday, all the redness is gone, all the swelling's gone, my foot's normal, but I still got a great big chunk of meat there missing on my leg. So it takes, I, I put that stickless bandage on it every day, just keep it clean, put a stickless bandage on it, tape it and everything, and it takes two more months, and I watched that inch wide, three inch long piece of meat grow back together from side to side to the center in two months on my leg, never scabbing, only the skin grew across there until it contacted in the middle. And when it grew back after two more months, it didn't even leave a scar. Today, you can look at my left leg and you cannot even tell where I ever tore that off. Now, if I went to the doctor you know, and they'd have put a bunch of medicine on it and everything. It would have cost me a lot of money, you know, and I don't know how long it would have taken, but I can assure you it would have scabbed over. And it, after it scabbed, you know, that would have probably broken and come off. I would have probably had a bad scar on my leg and all that stuff. I'm sure it would have healed. But there's not anybody does as good a work as the king. Amen. He does good work. But how many of you can trust him for that? 
Well, most of you, just like I was most of my life, you'd believe, well, Norman, give me a break. That's what God give us doctors for. Okay, go ahead and go. He'll meet you right where your faith level is. But I understand. If they hadn't had good doctors way back yonder years ago, I'd already been dead because I didn't know how to walk in faith. So thank goodness God give us good doctors. But when you get to the realm of faith, then you don't need a doctor no more because everything's possible with the king. Everything. Okay, so now then he says he gives his angels charge over you and they'll bear you up. Then in verse 13 he says, You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shall you trample underfoot. That's Satan and his host of demons he's talking about right there. The dragon is Satan and all these evil spirits that he's talking about here you can trample them underfoot only if you're walking in obedience to God's Word. Now, the minute you step into sin, when you step into sin, you're giving those beasts legal claim to you. So don't dare, as a Christian, go and sin no more. Because if you don't stop sinning, and just unbelief is sin. Now, when you stop and think about this, think about the stories you read about the children of Israel. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, Did the Lord show them any miracles just before he brought them out? Wow, did he show them some miracles. I mean, he showed them miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. In fact, can you imagine that here we have got all the things he's shown them. He brings them up to the Red Sea now. And then here comes the Egyptians after them. And we got the cloud by day and the fire by night and everything. And here we got probably two to four million people and maybe up to 8 or 10 million animals that they got with them. This is not some little bitty scene. This is a big thing. This is like if God gave you or me this chore today, it would be like leading the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex across the Red Sea. I can only imagine that. I mean, wow. The the, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, that's about what we got, about 3 or 4 million people in this area. And that's like leading them out. That's what Moses was doing. And he's standing there at the Red Sea, and the, the, Moses is just like us, Lord, what's going on? And he says, do something, Moses, do something. Hold up your staff, do something. And so he held up his staff, and when he did, the Red Sea parted. And, of course, that natural bridge is still there today where the sand starts down, and it goes down about 900 feet down into the sea, and it comes out the other side, on the other side, a perfect bridge, but yet only, only, it's only two or three miles wide. And yet they tell me on both sides of that, that Red Sea is several thousand feet deep on both sides. So God put that bridge in there a long time ago, and it's still there today. And only in the last few years have they gone in there with divers and found out that those wheels and everything off of those chariots of the Pharaoh from that dynasty is still there. And God sealed them over with coral and things so the wood was even still intact after these thousands of years with the gold on them. Isn't that amazing what God can do? I mean, after all, He's God, isn't He? I mean, He he can do anything. But think about Him separating that wall of water and drying the ground and all those people walking through and they come out on the other side and all these mighty things they've seen the Lord do and then they come up to the land of promise and He says, now go in and pursue it and I'll go with you. And they go in and look and come back and say, we can't do it. There's giants in there. We can't do it. I mean, does seeing miracles bring faith? No, it does not. Seeing miracles does not produce faith. How do you get faith? 
the Word of God. That's exactly right. Until the Word of God becomes one with you, you will never have great faith. And whenever the Word of God comes into you and you get to where you believe it, then you'll act on it. And when you start believing it and acting on it, then you'll see the Lord do great and mighty things. Now, he was not happy with those people out there because none of those people that were 20, older than 20 years of age, he said he was so upset with them, they all fell and died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And he was angry with them because of their unbelief. What do you think he'd say to the church today? I don't want to hear it. I mean, we are a faithless bunch. I was there most of my life. So I can't talk about anybody else because when I talk about you, I realize I'm talking about me. You know, I walked there most of my life in total unbelief of the promises of this book. I never got to see God do anything. I never prayed for anybody. I was just a normal churchgoer every time the doors opened. But I never saw God do any miracles. But when I began to get the Word in me and realize I was who it says I was and I could do what it says I could do, I started doing some things in faith. And when I started doing things in faith, then I began to see God do little miracles, little healings, little salvations, and on and on and on. And then, finally, the day comes when you say, Lord, bring me somebody to pray for. Lord, I want to see something. Don't you, Brittany? Yes, Lord, send me somebody. Now he says in verse 14, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. And that's the best thing any of us can do is know the name of our Savior, Jesus. And verse 15 says, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So every Christian that calls upon the name of the Lord, if we call upon him, he will answer us. Now, why is it so many people in the church has never heard the voice of God? In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question right here today. In fact, that was one of the things when... When Bill Gothard called me back in January, and he'd heard about some of the wonderful things God was doing through our ministry, especially in the area of healing and deliverance, he asked me, how do you get these things done? I said, Bill, it's really simple. I just use the Word of God. Well, what scriptures do you use? And so I told him scriptures. And for I quoted him scriptures for about an hour and a half on the phone. And he's writing down every reference. And so... And when we get through that meeting, he said, you know, I'm going to check you out. I said, fine, go ahead. About two weeks later, he calls me back and he said, you know, I checked out every one of those scriptures in the Hebrew and Greek, depending on what's Old or New Testament. And he said, you know what those scriptures say in English? I said, sure. They know they say exactly the same thing in the Greek and Hebrew they said in English. He said, that's right. He said, you know, the scriptures you're using are so powerful I just thought, surely God didn't mean that. Or, you know, it's like giving us a blank check. Well, I, thought, I told him, I said, welcome to the crowd of Christians I've been associated with all my life. That's where we are. That's where we live. How awesome. And he said, and I told him, I said, you know, Bill, I, ask, I call upon God and he talks to me. I said, you ever heard his voice? He said, no. I, he said, you have? I said, oh, yeah. I call on him. I expect him to answer me. I said, he's spoken to me at least 30 plus times. At least. I don't even know how many times. But I kept real good count for a while. But after he started speaking to me so often and telling me so many wonderful things, I said, I just lost track. 
He said, Thurman, I never heard anybody say they'd ever heard the voice of God. I said, well, you heard me say it. And I said, I've heard it many times. So the other day when we was down at Big Sandy, that was the first place I spoke. Actually, the last place I spoke for him. (laughs) First and last because, I mean, I turned the apple cart upside down for that bunch of Baptists. They had never heard a man step up and never even open his Bible, never take a piece of paper with him. Quote the Word of God for an hour and a half, and all I did for an hour and a half, quote the Word, tell you a promise, and tell you what I've seen God do. Quote a promise, tell you what I've seen God do. For an hour and a half, though that group of people that had never, most of them had never seen God do a miracle, got to hear about more things and awesome things that were happening and in such a short period of time. And, of course, some of those people really said that, you know, I was a name it and claim it group. Well, absolutely. God is a name it and claim it God. You know, since he says, ask and it shall be yours, I just believe him instead of man. And so, a few days later, or, or during that time, when I was down there, Bill said, you know, I was, that night, he shared with me, he said, this morning I was in a car with three people. And I told these men, I said, you know, I have just met a man that is absolutely the greatest man of faith I have ever met with in my life. But he says, he says he hears God's voice. He said, I've never heard God's voice. He said, any of you three men ever heard God speak to you in an authoritative or audible voice? He said, immediately two of them said, I have. He said, you've heard it? They said, yes. And they shared with me. And so that afternoon we walked in, or, or actually it was a morning, next morning, when I was going to speak, just before I was going to speak, we walked into a room, two beautiful young ladies. Uh, they were makeup. One of them was makeup and one of them was something else, but probably in their early 20s, both of them just beautiful young women. And I said, young ladies, I'd like to ask a question. Both of you all Christians? They said, yes, we are. I said, have either one of you young ladies ever heard the authoritative or audible voice of God? One of them, he said, I have twice. I said, great. The other one, she said, no, I never have. Bill said, this is awesome. You know, he said, I here in a matter of hours, I've heard three people besides you that's heard the authoritative voice of God. And I said, you know why you never heard anybody say that, Bill? You never asked nobody. I said, so since I hear it all the time, I don't mind asking. Now, let me ask this question here today with this group. How many of you in here, this group, at either one or more times than one or at least once, you know you have heard an authoritative or audible voice speak to your mind that was not just speaking to your spirit, but you know you heard God tell you to do something? How many of you have heard that voice? Wow, that's awesome. Praise the king. So he's still talking. <laughs> In a normal group of Southern Baptists, I don't get near that many hands. So this really says something about this group of people. But what did the king say he would do? He, we, he shall call upon me, you shall call upon me, and I will answer you. So if you've never heard that voice, you need to be calling on the Lord. And when you call on him, I can think now sometimes right there where we're right there, I'll tell you an experience I had with the Lord. And since it, he has spoken to me so many times, one day I was went to a funeral down in Goldthwaite, Texas. I heard a friend of mine's dad had passed away. So I went down there to the funeral. When I got there, I, my, the guy that was my age, my, one of my, I had two best friends in high school. He was one of them. And it was his dad that had died. And when I got down there, he was not there. And I asked his sister, I said, where is your brother? I called his name. She said, well, 
Thurman, you haven't heard? I said, heard what? She said, he's in the hospital in Brownwood with a stroke. He's only 58 years old at this time. I thought, what? 58 years old? I'm the same age I was at the time. This has been seven years ago. And I said, well, after the funeral today, I'll go by Brownwood on the way home. It's not far out of my way, and I'll go see him. So I went by Brownwood, and I went in there and find his ICU, and, man, he looked like he's 80 years old. I mean, he's all shriveled up. He looks terrible. I asked the doctor, I said, what's the problem? He said, he's got brain tumors. And said, he got bunches of them. And said, we're going to send him down to San Antonio for the surgery to a specialist. But said, we can't have him. I said, okay. So they sent him to San Antonio. They opened his head up and looked in there and tucked some of the bigger ones out. But the doctor down there put him back together and said, except God intervene, there's nothing we can do. So they sent him back to a rest home in Goldsway to die. Well, after I heard about that sending back there, I thought, gee, with what I've learned about the Word of God, I'll go there and get him healed. I'm a good friend of mine. You know, you didn't want him to die. I don't mind taking a day off and going spending a day with a good friend to try to get him healed. And so anyway, I took the day off and I drove to Goldsway. It's about three and a half hour drive down there. I got there about 10 o'clock that morning and I walked in. When I walked in, here's a precious woman standing there. And I said, who are you? She said, I'm his wife. I said, oh, I knew his first two wives, but I didn't know he'd been married a third time. I said, are you the third or more? (laughs) And she said, no, I'm his third one. I said, well, I knew his first two wives, and I knew he had a problem, and they divorced. I knew he had divorced, or at least the first time, and I didn't know, but he divorced second time. So anyway, she said, yes. I said, have you been married before? She said, no, he's my only husband. I said, okay. I said, where do you all go to church? She said, over at the First Baptist Church in Star. I said, how many times have you been? Now, you talk about being led by the Spirit. I don't have a clue why I'm doing what I'm doing. And she said, four or five times. I said, four or five times? I said, it's the middle of the year. I said, this guy used to be a Sunday school teacher. I mean, he was a, a, a youth leader in the church, and he even led the music sometimes. I said, I can't believe you and him have only been to church four or five times in the last six months. She said, Thurman, I don't believe you have to go to church to serve God. We've only been to church four or five or six times in the ten years we've been married. I said, what? Oh, she said, yeah, he went to church all the time until we got married. And I told him, we don't have to go to church to serve God. You know, we can do it at home. Have you ever heard anybody make that statement? But that's not what the book says. The book says you're to forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis as a manner of some are. That's in Hebrews 10.25. So anyway, it's amazing what happens when we're disobedient. Now see, he had never put this together since he stepped out. Who's supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home? The man, not the woman. But now, what was he doing? He was yielding to the woman. The woman says, we don't need to go to church. He's a spiritual authority. He's supposed to say, yes, honey, we're going to church. We're going to go to church. He should have found out before he married her, will you go to church with me? And if she said, well, yes, then when they got married, he said, okay, Monday, Sunday morning, we go to church. We read the Bible during the week. But after they got married, I guess they didn't discuss those things in detail. And so... She decided that they wouldn't go to church, so he yielded to her. So they quit going to church. 
half a dozen times or less in 10 years. And there he is at 58 years old with brain tumors. Brain tumors. He used to be a really fruit-producing person for the kingdom of God. I mean, he wrote articles. He was just on fire for Jesus. And then he married this woman that didn't believe in spiritual things. And since God put him as a spiritual leader and not her, he yielded to her. Now then, at 58 years old, he's laying on his deathbed. Okay, I realized I was not getting anywhere with this woman. I was showing her the word, telling her what the words required, but she wouldn't believe in it. So I said, okay, forget it. I'm not getting anywhere with you, so I'm just going to spend the rest of my time reading Scripture over him today. I'm going to anoint him with all. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith over him. And so all day long, from about 10 o'clock that morning until about 3 or 4 o'clock that afternoon, I read Scripture to him. I anointed him with oil. I prayed over him. I laid hands on him. I kicked the devil out of him. I did everything I knew to do. Everything. And then late that afternoon, I turned to him. I said, called his name. I said, do you know who I am? And he turned. The first thing he had done, he had not said a word. He's sitting there staring out the window all day long. When I said, I called his name. I said, do you know who I am? He turned to look at me right now and he said, you're Thurman Scrivener. I said, praise God, you're healed. I know it's done. I got it done. I said, Lord, thank you. Praise the Lord. I told him, I said, I'm going to the house. I got him healed. He'll be fine. Well, I left on Monday afternoon, went home, and Thursday they called me and said, he died. I said, he died. I said, I can't believe this. So they said, we're going to have the funeral Sunday. So I went back down there Sunday. After the funeral was over on the way home, I said, Lord, you told me to cry unto you and you'll answer me. I said, Lord, I got to know what I did wrong with this man. I said, did I have a sin in my life that you didn't hear my prayer? What did I do wrong? I said, Lord, I did everything I do for all kinds of people and you heal all kinds of them. But this one died. I said, Lord, did I do something wrong? Because if I did something wrong or I got a sin in my heart, I want to get it confessed. I don't want to, I don't want to have any failures. I said, Lord, would you please answer me and tell me what I did wrong? I said, Lord, thank you for the answer. And I'd wait a minute and nothing. And so I'd back it. I said, Lord, you told me to cry unto you and you would answer me. I said, Lord, I've heard your voice many times. So I know you're listening. I know you're never very far away. I know you hear my cry. So, Lord, and Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to tell me where I messed up. I said, Lord, thank you for the answer. And I'd wait a minute and nothing. Now, most of us, when we ask three or four or five times, if we don't hear his voice, we give up. But I don't give up. I stayed there for two and a half hours. I mean, two and a half hours I asked that same question over and over and over and over. If I said, Lord, I am not going away. You know, I've got to know. You're the one put me in this healing ministry. You're the one that's done this to me. I said, Lord, I don't want to mess up. I want to do it right. Please, Father, in Jesus' name, tell me what I did wrong. Did I make a mistake? I said, Lord, thank you for the answer. And after two and a half hours, he spoke. He said, no, son, you didn't make a mistake. He said, you did everything right. But he said, your answer to his problem is in John 15, 2. Hmm. Well, I wheeled off to the side of the road, grabbed out my Bible, and I flipped it open to John 15, 2. And I got a tremendous revelation about a scripture I'd read many times that I had no clue it meant exactly what it said. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. 
Is he pretty merciful? Ten years he produced no fruit. You look like a businessman. If you had, if I was working for you and I worked hard and done a good job from Saturday to Saturday, would you pay me every Friday? But what if I was the best employee you had for five years and then all of a sudden I decided I'm not coming to work and only had two weeks paid vacation and I took the two weeks and after that I decided I'd just stay at home and let you pay me anyway. Would you keep paying me? Ah, what a friend this guy is. But he's just like me. That's exactly what I would have done too. Now, Jesus was pretty merciful to him, wasn't he? Ten years, no fruit. When he says, my mercy, you know, my grace and my mercy is new every morning. Would you say he's pretty merciful? He provided that man with everything he needed. He provided him with a house, a car, everything for ten years. And he totally stopped producing fruit for the kingdom of God. But after ten years... He said, son, I cut him off because he stopped producing fruit. And I said, Lord, it was his wife's fault. Lord, it was her fault. She's the one doing it. Why didn't you take her out? (laughs) I mean, I got questions. I don't understand. He said, son, I didn't put her in charge of the family. I put him in charge of the family. I hold him accountable for her. Wow. Wow. When I got those kind of revelations from God, let me tell you. Men, if you're married, you're the spiritual authority in your home. And if you're not training your wife in the Word of God, you're not taking her to church every time the door is open. If you're not being an example of Christ to her, you're not doing what Jesus told you to do. And when Jesus said men, no, he didn't say men. It's the same word in the Greek, but it's translated properly. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How is a husband supposed to love his wife? Like Christ loved the church. Is there any exceptions to the rule for the Christian man? Nope. You're supposed to love that woman. God give you. You love her. I mean, you treat her with love and respect. You meet all of her needs. In fact, the way I read the scripture, and I think I read it right, he says, when you get married, your body is not yours. It's hers. And her body is not hers. It's yours. Isn't that awesome? So when you take a call like I spent yesterday on the phone with a young man, He called me. He goes to another church, but he called me. And he said, I've listened to you on the radio, and I want to ask you a question. He said, my wife has left me and gone back to the city she's from here in Texas. I said, how long were you all married? He said, six years. I said, did you love your wife? He said, I did. He said, I loved her with all my heart. But he says, she don't love me. I said, what makes you think that? He said, She's told me that since we've been married a few times. She's told me. I said, son, were you good to her? Did you treat her like a lady? He said, yes, I did. Yes, sir, I did. I said, "Uh, how was y'all's sex life? He said, it was terrible. I said, I thought so. I said, 
if you don't mind me being personal with you, how many times a month did you and your wife have sex? He said, never more than four or five. I told him, I said, you're right, that's not normal. I said, the average 30-year-old couple has sex at least once a day. If you don't have sex at least once a day when you're 30 years old, there's something wrong with you. I said, if you have sex once or twice or three or four times a month as a 25 to 30-year-old, something wrong. And then if you have sex and your wife does not enjoy it, I said, my next question would be, your wife was abused or raped when she was young. Because if she cannot enjoy sex, she's missed a blessing that God has given her. And I said, I've come to realize that's a great, great problem in the church today. Far too many people have been sexually abused. In fact, at Big Sandy, I had a woman that came to me after five hours, stood in line five hours to talk to me. I mean, it's amazing. And then she wanted to talk very privately. She didn't want to stand in the line. She wanted to go over and sit down in a chair. I went over and sat down in this chair with this lady. And I pulled her up to me. And I caught some flack from the big boys about that. Because she was 34 years old. And she's like a daughter to me. And so I just, she said, I want to talk intimately with you. So I just sat down in the chair, put my arm around her, pulled her up, put her head right against my ear. I said, tell me what you want to tell me, honey. She said, I want you to pray for my husband. He's, he's hooked on pornography. I said, how old are you, honey? She said, I'm 34. I said, how old is your husband? She said, 36. I said, your husband's hooked on pornography? She said, yes. I said, how long have y'all been married? She said, a little over 12 years. I said, do you have any children? She said, we had two girls right off the bat. I got pregnant the first month, and about a year later got pregnant again. And she said, we have two children, two girls. I said, honey, if your husband's on pornography, I said, obviously you're not meeting his need. I said, do you and him have a good sexual relationship? She said, no, not at all. And I said, are you sleeping together in the same bed? She says, no. I said, let me ask you a very intimate question. Do you have any idea how many times you and your husband have had sex since your last daughter was born in the last 10 years? She said, I don't know exactly how many times. I said, how many? She said, five. Five times had sex in 10 years, and they're only 34 and 36 years old. I said, you're right. I said, now my next question to you, at what age were you abused sexually? She said, the first time at three. And I said, when was the last time? She was, I was brutally raped at 16. I said, that's what I thought. I said, you've gone through that. And I said, every time your husband approaches you, have sex, you relive those scenes. She said, I do. And she said, it's terrifying. I said, I knew it. I said, you must break the soul ties between you and those men. And we went through and broke the soul ties. I said, now then Jesus can clean you up and make you brand new. I said, I will kick the devil out of your life and I will drive him away. Now then that we've got all the soul ties broken, we've repented and everything. And I said, after we did all that, I said, now then, I, she said, I feel clean like a virgin. I said, I know. That's exactly what God's just done for you. She said, what do I need to do? I said, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to put on a beautiful negligee, and I want you to go in and crawl in bed with your husband, and I want you to pull yourself up close to him, and I want you to tell him how sorry you've been for withholding yourself, and that you're not going to do this out of duty. You're going to do this out of love for your husband. She said, I will do it. Well, about three or four weeks later, I got an email from her, 
And wow, you should have read that email. (laughs) She said, I went in and did what you told me. And she said, out of love, instead of duty, I went in and crawled into bed with my husband. She said, he cried. I cried. We both repented. She said, he prayed over me. And she said, after he prayed over me, we had the most awesome sexual relationship that night we have ever had in our life. And she said, we have slept in the same bed every night. And she said, our life is full of joy, joy, joy. And people say, why do you do what you do? There's one of the reasons right there. That's why I do what I do. I've learned what gives the devil legal right. And I've learned what gets rid of him. And I've learned what the prayers of faith will do. And you can change people's life with the word of God if they'll just do what he says. And we're going to stop right there, and we'll take up right after lunch, and we'll talk about how to walk with God this afternoon for the last two hours. Praise the Lord. Y'all have a great lunch. Oh, my goodness. These new names. It's wonderful to have a new name. As long as that name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? It's the only place I want my name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm so grateful for the King and, and what He has done with me and raised me up uh, in these last days to let me walk in this great realm of faith. In fact, I was uh, Jeff was saying there that he has only met three men in his entire life that has the gift of faith. And he said, you're one of them. I thought, wow, that's something, isn't it? But God has given me this. <clears throat> But uh, just like I, I told Cheryl whenever the Lord uh, told us that we were to get married and uh, we made that decision and as we began to talk over the next few weeks, I told her, I said, uh, there's something you must know about me. And I said, I walk on a razor blade. And I said, if you go with me, you'll have to walk on that razor blade. She said, I'll walk on your shoes on top of that razor. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's what you said, buddy. That is what you, yeah. And she said, I'll hold on to your belt. I said, okay, we'll make it. We'll, we'll walk it together. Well, we will walk it together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we praise you and thank you for this session. We thank you for the day. We thank you for the Word of God. And we thank you for the magnificence of the Word of God and how awesome it is. Help us now, Lord, to walk in obedience to your Word and grasp the true meaning of the Word so we'll walk in it. We'll walk sinless and pure and holy before you so that we open no doors to the demonic world. Lord, I thank you for the privilege, for the gift of faith and all these other gifts that you've given me because I know I'm nothing without you but I'm grateful for what you've picked me up and allowed me to do. And may I pass this information on to others so many others will be able to walk in these things. Now, Satan, I rebuke you and command you to get your hands off of every human here and that you not steal a single word out of anybody's mind or heart this afternoon, but that, Lord, you may lock it into our minds and our spirits by the Holy Spirit so that we might hide the word in our hearts so we do not sin against you. We praise you and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I made a little outline here that I'm going to 
teach from a little bit this afternoon, and I title this, How to Walk with God. This is a continuation, of course, How to Walk in Divine Health, because I think, since I've experienced what I've experienced with God, I don't think I know that, in fact, I'm going to read a scripture to you from Exodus 15 uh, to show you where I get this. Now, this is under the law, in Exodus chapter 15, uh, one scripture here. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. <clears throat> now, Exodus 15:26, the Lord, He said something under the law that if this is true, and we have a better covenant or better promises, then we should be able to walk in a greater level even than this. But I want to show you what the Lord promised the children of Israel in chapter 15 of Exodus, verse 26. And He said, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, now, there's a requirement. If you will diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His sight. And not what you want to do, but do what He wants you to do. You know. And will give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes. How many of them? All. Not part of them? You mean I can't mess up in one or two places? All? Lord, you would really require that? All? Then he says, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. <clears throat> so if we're... If we are sick and afflicted, and many of us are in the church, I used to be, had a lot of it. I was down in my back half a dozen times. I, I just had all kinds of problems. I didn't know how to walk by faith. Didn't know what it meant. Now, was I living in any kind of gross sin? No. I mean, I was not going out and lying every day or stealing or cheating or committing adultery in my wife. I never done none of those things. Never. You know, I mean, I never. I was I was married to a woman 41 and a half years. I never ran around on her in 41 and a half years. Never, never. That was not in my vocabulary. I walked holy before God. But was I sinning in God's sight? Absolutely. What was my sin? Unbelief. You're absolutely right. Absolutely my sin was unbelief. And if you have a sin of unbelief and you don't believe it, let me turn over to Hebrews 3.12 and read you a scripture of what God thinks about a heart of unbelief. <clears throat> this is kind of startling when you read some of these things about what the Lord, what He thinks about things, because what we think about things and what He thinks about things is two different things. <laughs> Hebrews 3.12 it says here, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What does he think about a heart of unbelief? Evil. Evil. An evil heart of unbelief. Wow. That's kind of like a gentleman just told me a while ago. He told me, uh, we were talking about hearing the voice of God. 
And he made a statement to me. He said one time when I was having a little problem in my life, he said I was at a place and I was fixing to do something wrong. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and called me by name and said, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're doing? And he said, boy, when I heard that voice and he called my name, he said, I turned and he said, I left the scene and I didn't do what I was fixing to do. I see it's unfortunate. Lots of times God don't speak to us when we're fixing to do something wrong. I mean, you think about somebody fixing to go into a store to rob a store. Or I think about, how many of you ever heard uh, Margie Mayfield's testimony? Uh, Dr. James Dodson had that on about 15 years ago. Any, anybody ever heard Margie's uh, testimony? You have? Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Here she was now, taken captive by the number one murderer and rapist in America. And here this guy abducts her on a Kmart parking lot down in San Antonio, Texas, and tells her to get in the car. At 2 o'clock that morning, he just killed and brutally killed and murdered and raped a young woman. And now then Margie, he's got her at gunpoint and tells her to get into the car. And I think he killed like 20 or 25 women. <clears throat> and she tells us, he tells this little woman, get in the car, sit down. Be quiet, put your hands under your thighs, and if you make one move, I'll kill you. <coughs> and this little woman gets in and slides in, and this guy <laughs> gets in under the wheel, and he looks she looks over at him and says, Mr., you're not in control here. I am, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say she's not a normal woman, brother? <laughs> But she had the entire book of Ephesians committed to memory. All six chapters. And that's a powerful book. And since she had it, she was able to reach over and put her hands on him and say, you're not in control here. I am in the name of Jesus. And she said, I'm going to pray for you. And the guy turned and looked at her and he said, woman, I ain't never run into a woman like you. And he never had. But let me tell you. For a woman to be in a car with a man telling him about Jesus, that's the number one rapist murderer in America, that absolutely has no fear, that knows who she is in Christ. As she talks to him about Jesus over and over and over, as she talks to him, no fear, and she talks to him about Jesus and telling him what she needs. In a little while, they're driving down the road, and he pulls over to the side of the road and stops, unloads the gun, hands it to her, and throws his hands up in the air and says, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And she said, what happened? She said, after you told me all those things you did, the Lord spoke to me. And I believe his name was Stephen. said, Stephen, I have sent one of my daughters to tell you the truth. This is your last chance. You accept me or it's over. He heard that audible voice. And that day, that guy accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, got saved, turned himself in. And it was amazing, you know, what a woman can do that knows who she is in Christ. And then after she came to her senses, of course, they, uh, they got him. <laughs> when she came back in the flesh, out of the spirit, she said that uh, a lady came by one day. And, of course, they put him in penitentiary in Huntsville. And he was uh, going to die in the electric chair for all the things he had done. But his life was totally changed. And 
You can only imagine the morning that he was getting ready to die. The devil, you can imagine what the devil was doing to him. And said, you know, you fool, this stuff wasn't real. But he said, Lord, if that woman was really real that led me to you, would you please let me see her, just see her one more time before I die in the electric chair? A woman came by Margie's house that morning and said, you know, Stephen is going to die in the electric chair today in Huntsville. She said, yeah, I've heard that. She said, let's go see him. She said, oh, I could never go back and see him. She said, let's go down there. So she finally enticed her, and they drove to Huntsville, and they were walking down the corridor as Stephen was walking down the glass corridor, and he looked up, and there was her. And he knew in a few minutes he was going to be in heaven with the Lord. Because he'd asked the Lord, Lord, if this was really real, and you really are alive, and you really are my Lord and my Savior. He said, please, let me see. Just see that woman one more time before I die. And the Lord brought that wonderful woman there, and he got to see her. But if you haven't heard that tape, uh, we have a, a, in fact, I had uh, Joshua make a hundred of those for our church. Uh, It's a powerful testimony. And, uh, well, If you haven't heard it, you really need to hear it. Because that woman, it just goes to show you our spiritual authority and what we can do in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, our King has given us all power and all authority over the forces of darkness. In the name of Jesus, you can do all kinds of things. In fact, I was telling Jeff all ago, I said, I have only seen one man raised from the dead. But I did it over the telephone. Isn't that amazing? About 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, my phone rang, and a man had worked for me for 20 years. His son-in-law, which is a paramedic, he called me and said, Thurman, this is so-and-so. He said, Bo had a massive heart attack tonight and said he's died and said uh, we have worked with him, we've shock treated him, we've done everything we can possibly do and said he's gone. said he haven't had a heartbeat or a pulse in about 20 or 30 minutes. And I said, let's pray. He said, Thurman, it's too late to pray. He's dead. I said, it's never too late to pray. Jesus, I mean, what did Jesus do with Lazarus? How long had Lazarus been dead? Four days. You know, I mean, give me a break. You know, we don't think like God. He'd only been dead 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, that's a piece of cake. He's not hardly cold yet, you know. (laughs) So we don't think like God. So I said, well, then I will pray. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command the spirit of death to leave, Bo Jackson. And Father, in Jesus' name, I command the spirit of life back in his flesh. I said, thank you, Lord. And all of a sudden, his son-in-law says, he just jumped. He said, Thurman, I've got a heartbeat. He's breathing. He said, I'm going to take him to Irving to the hospital. I said, okay. I said, I'll get up and come on down there. So I got up and, of course, uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, got ready and Drove from where I live, way out close to Justin, all the way down to Irving to the hospital. And it must have been four or five o'clock before I got there and found him. And when I was looking for him, I saw a doctor there walking down the corridor in the hospital. I said, Doc, do you know where Otho Wayne Jackson's at? He said, Yeah, he's down in a room so and so. I said, How's he doing? Uh, he said, The guy's, he said, he's fairly stable, but said he'd have been better off if he had died. I said, What do you mean? 
He said, well, the paramedic said he didn't have any oxygen. For some reason, he was completely gone for 20 or 30 minutes. Then he came back to life. He said the guy would be better off. He'd have died because if he comes back, he'll be a vegetable, you know, brain damage. I said, Doc, do you see those hands? He said, well, sure, I see those hands. I said, Jesus told me to lay those hands on the sick and they'd recover. He didn't say they'd be a vegetable. And he looked at me and just kind of rolled his eyes. And... <laughs> I mean, but that's typical Christian. I mean, we don't. Faith is gone in the church today. I mean, if Jesus said it, then I'm just simple enough to believe He meant it. Is that what you believe? I mean, that's what we ought to believe anyway, right, brother? So, I mean, if Jesus said lay hands on the sick, like I say, this has got to be the hardest thing in the world to do. Be healed in Jesus' name. Now, I'm telling you, it takes a doctor of theology to mess that up. That's just, that's all I got to say. You got to be a pastor of a big church to mess that one up, you know. A normal, simple man like me can't miss that. That is so simple. But that's what Jesus said do. I mean, after all, who is the healer? Jesus. I mean, I'm not doing it. I'm just laying my hands on him and say, be healed. The king's the one that's going to make it happen, not me. But he's going to use your and my faith to make it happen. So when you lay your hands on somebody, your own children. You know, if you have a devil come into your house with some kind of sickness and disease, don't rush them down to the doctor. Take them to the king. Hallelujah. You know, it works, doesn't it? You, you've learned that. You believe that now, don't you, girl? Yes, sir. I mean, even mama can do that, right? Amen. I mean, you can go in there and you can, when you know you got all of heaven behind this word, you can lay your hands on your babies and expect them to get healed, right? Especially when you got a good man at home that walks in obedience to the Word of God. When you got a good man, a man that's in agreement with the Word, that's walking in obedience, and you and him walking in a love relationship together, and you're loving each other like you're supposed to, and you're not having any disagreements because the Word of God does say that men, if you love your wives and treat them right, then your prayers will not be hindered. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, which means... If you left this morning in a huff and you did something wrong, you know, and you got on your wife's case and you were mad at her on, on the way to work, you were fuming because something didn't happen just right or she burned your toast this morning or whatever. If you let those little dumb things bother you. The other morning we got up, I guess it was the first or second night after we were at home together and Cheryl said, I'll fix some breakfast. And when I came in, she said, I only had water, two pieces of toast and I burned both of them. I looked at him and I said, honey, that's exactly the way I like it. Just like it. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. You, oh, you told her. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, she's, she's, she's learning how to be a woman of faith slowly. Yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. You know, of course, we had, uh, we bought a gallon of milk a week before we got married and left it there for her son and everything while he was there. And about half of it was left. And so we've been gone a couple of weeks and everything. And so the milk is three weeks past the due date on the bottle. And so yesterday I came in where we were going to have a little bite of breakfast. And I walked in the kitchen and she was cooking some eggs and stuff. And she gets the milk out of the refrigerator and takes a cap and starts pouring in the sink. I said, what are you doing? Well, she said, honey, I'm pouring out the milk. I said, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with that milk. 
she looked at the, she stopped pouring. She said, honey, three weeks past a date. I said, but now you live in a house with a man of faith. She said, what do you mean? I said, that milk don't go bad in this house. I said, I walk in faith. I said, I guarantee that milk is sweet and pure. She says, I'm not drinking it. (laughs) So... I said, here's the cup. Pour me a cup of milk. I'll drink it. And I said, I guarantee you it'll be sweet and perfect. She said, you can't be serious. I said, of course. I walk in faith. I have dominion. So I held up my cup and she poured it in there. She said, are you going to smell it first? I said, no. <laughs> nope. I guarantee it's going to be sweet and fresh. Now, see, if you believe that you can do these things, Mark eleven twenty three, Mark eleven twenty three, Jesus made you a statement. Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you shall have whatever you say. Now, that's exactly word for word what the King James says. Now then, if you say the milk is bad and it's spoiled, that's exactly right, ma'am. That's exactly right. So I told her, I said, don't pour that milk out. I guarantee it's good and it's sweet. I said, pour me a cup. And she poured me a cup and I turned it up and drank it. And she said, how's it taste? I said, just like I said, beautiful and sweet. She said, well, let me taste it. So I gave it to her and she she took a little sip of it. She said, you're right. It's perfect. I said, like I told you. So she poured a glass of it. She drank a glass. I drank a glass. And last night, I drank the other glass. There was only one left. And so we finished up that gallon of milk. Now then, did Jesus Jesus say that he has given us dominion? Now see, we're children of God. I mean, we're children of the king of the universe. I mean, before, we used to be servants. And then in the New Testament, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John come along, they were friends. But today, since the death, burial, and resurrection of the king, when we believe in Jesus, we're children. We're sons of God. He's our daddy. You can walk into the throne of grace and he has given you all power and all authority on earth so that with all these great and awesome, magnificent statements that he made, he said, you might become partakers of the divine nature of God. In Second Peter chapter 1. So if you can become partakers of the divine nature of God, what do you think God's nature is like? Is there any sickness in God's nature? No. You think there's any weakness in God's nature? You think he knows everything? Sure. And we even have the mind of Christ, don't we, brother? I mean, that's written in the scripture. But we don't believe that, do we? How many do we? No, we don't believe the word. So... If you want to be able to see God do some wonderful things, the first thing you've got to do is realize who you are. You're a daughter or a son of the king of the universe. And that he has empowered you with the Holy Ghost and power. And he has only limited you to what you say. What you believe. Just like Matthew 8.13 says, Jesus said, I mean, here, here's a centurion soldier comes over and says, Master, I've got a son laying home that's sick. With a palsy. Jesus said, I'll go and heal him. 
He says, no, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But he says, I'm a man under authority. I speak to this soldier and he does that. I speak to this servant and he does this. I know you're a man under authority. But what he said, I know you're a man under authority in the spirit world. And I know you speak the word and I know my son will be healed. Jesus said, wow. In all Israel, I have not found one with such great faith. He said, as you have believed, so shall it be unto you. As you have believed. Well, now see, that's what I did the day that I walked into the hospital when my grandbaby and Kelly was laying on her deathbed. I believe the word. And when the doctors say, I'm sorry, the little six-year-old with her head busted open right here back to here, she'll have brain damage if she lives. And since both pelvics are crushed, if she lives, it'll be two and a half to three months minimum before she can walk with a walker. And I said, oh, no, absolutely not. I said, with John 16, 23, and 24, with those two promises in John 16, 23, and 24, Jesus said, before this day, you have asked me nothing. But from this day forth, you can ask the Father in my name anything you want to, and I'll do it for you. Therefore, ask anything so that your joy may be full. Now, the church don't believe those two promises. If the church believed those two promises, they'd act on those promises just like I did that day with Kelly. And I took those two promises, read them, and told them. I said, now, Father, you said I can have anything. So I'm asking you to raise up Kelly, heal her head, heal her pelvics, put them back together, and do such a supernatural healing or restoration, everybody will know that only you could have done it. I said, now, Lord, I don't want her to be healed in three or four months. I want her to be healed very, very quickly. And then I turned to everybody and said, guarantee, with the God I serve, his name is Jesus, she'll be out of here nothing flat. Won't be no brain damage. Won't be nothing. She'll be running and playing shortly. <coughs> well, everybody thinks you're, a, you know, grandfather in denial, you know, poor old man, you know, goodness gracious. Don't he know anything? Well, when one week Kelly's out of ICU, one more week she's out of the hospital walking with a walker, and three days later back in school running and playing. Wow, two and a half weeks, and then, of course... Three months later at a birthday party, I didn't realize she had those huge scars where her head had been busted open. I didn't ask the Lord to heal it without a scar. See, like a dummy, you know, we don't think. I mean, you got to think like God asked him to heal it, but I didn't ask him to heal it without a scar. So where her head is busted open in two places all across her, she had two huge scars on her head. Well, at her birthday party that night when I saw her, three months later, she asked her how she's doing. And she said, oh, Mr. Thurman, I'm doing great. But she said, I hate these two big scars on my head. So she pulled her little hair up and let me look. I said, wow, you do have two huge scars. on." I said, honey, Jesus don't want them scars on her either. But I said, he can't take them off until a man of faith prays a prayer of faith for you. I said, now, Jesus said in John 14, 13, I can ask the Father in the name of Jesus anything I want to, and he'll do it for me. I mean, it's, it's written. That's in the Word. Why don't we use these things? I mean, he wrote them to us as children, didn't he? What's wrong with us, kid? Unbelief. Unbelief. That's absolutely it. Unbelief. And unbelief is an evil heart of unbelief, right? Mm-hmm. That's sad, isn't it? So, okay, God, if it be your will. No, no, no. And I never prayed no such stupid prayer. I didn't do no. I mean, if he told me to ask the Father in the name of Jesus anything I want to, and he'll do it. What do you think I'm going to do? I said, Father, in Jesus' name, you said, 
right there in John 14, 13, I could ask for anything. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to take both them scars off her head and make that little head beautiful. And I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, Kelly, I guarantee the king will take them off now because he made you the promise. You hear any faith in that? Just a little bit? Off over here in the corner. A little bit of faith, right? Well, that's what God understands. He's a faith God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So, you ask and believe according to the Word and thank Him. Now then, here comes the kicker. Do you really think He's going to do it for you? That old devil will say, now, oh, now, now. You don't really think for an old wicked girl like you, He's really going to do any such thing as that. See, those thoughts are going to come into that little head, ain't they? Because you and me can't control what that devil puts in there, right? But you've got to capture those thoughts. And you've got to believe what the Word says, Terry, instead of what the devil says. And so when you believe the Word, then you tell that little girl, guarantee they're going to go off. And she said, Mr. Thurman, I know they're going to go off. Because when you ask Jesus, I know he's going to do it. Well, the next morning, that little gal runs into the bathroom, flops her bangs up and looks in the mirror and says, Mama, look, just what I thought. They're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday morning. Now, see, that's the kind of faith you need in a little lady, right? And then she made this statement to her mother. said, Mama, don't Mr. Thurman do good work. <laughs> she looked at her and Connie, it's not Mr. Thurman. It's Jesus that's taking them off. Oh, she said, Mama, I know that. But she said, Mr. Thurman knows how to get Jesus to do good things. <laughs> now, isn't that amazing? Now, every one of us should be there. There should be no exceptions in the church. If these blank checks I'm quoting you is in your Bible, if you're not seeing a work, brother, shame on you, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I mean, after all, Jesus did make that statement, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So what's wrong with us? Amen. <laughs> unbelief. That's it. So repent right now for your unbelief. I'm sorry, Lord, for that I've not believed your word. Because, I mean, just think. He put that little head back together and he put those little pelvics back together and let her run and play in two and a half weeks when the doctor said if she lived, it'll be two and a half to three months before she can even walk with a walker. And within three months, don't have a scar on her head. Today, she's nine years old. There's not a scar on her head. She's a beautiful little girl running and playing back in school. But that was a piece of cake. Yeah, as y'all, most of you know, Caitlin's miracle was a little bit more intense. You know, I mean, her brain stem was severed. Her eyes are disconnected from her brain. Her face was tore all to pieces where her face hit the seat in front of her at 140 mile an hour closure speed. That's just like hitting a little girl in the face with a tube of six as hard as you can hit her. It just broke her face all to pieces. And then it disconnected the valve in her throat. It crushed her lungs, busted her skull in five places, bust a hole plumb through the head in the front, and then crushed her right knee and broke her left leg right under her knee and right above her ankle. And when I walked into the room and looked at that piece of flesh laying there, three years old, nearly four. When I walked in and looked at that, you cannot go by what you see. You must go by the word. When I walked in and looked at that and the doctor walked up and he says, sir, you see that instrument right there? I said, yes, sir. He said, you see that says 20? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's the pressure on her brain. I said, don't mean nothing to me. He said, sir, that's not critical. That's critical, critical. And he said, she's going to die any second. I said, there ain't no way that little girl's going to die for a long time. <laughs> he said, sir, she's going to die. 
I said, oh, no, she's not. Because I said, I serve Jesus. And he told me in John 15, 7. He said, if my words remain in you and you remain in me, you can ask me. Hey, you've read that verse, haven't you? (laughs) Anything. For what is it we don't understand about anything? So what do you think? Who am I going to believe now? The doctor or Jesus? We're supposed to believe the king, right? He gave us the ability to call things that are not as though they were and they will become. And so I just believed him. And then, of course, I never doubted. Not one time. I just said, Father, you made me the promise. So thank you, Lord, for completely raising up Caitlin. I said, Lord, I don't want a scar on that little face. I said, now you said I could ask anything. I want that little brain stem reconnected. I want those eyes reconnected. I want that little face fixed. I don't want a scar on it nowhere. I want her to be strong. I want her to run and play. And I want her to be such an awesome miracle. Declare your glory that everybody that ever sees this little girl will only know that only you could have done this miracle. And I turned to everyone of them doctors and nurses and said, I guarantee she'll run and play again because the Word of God says I can ask anything. Oh, man, they, they don't understand faith. In fact, nine days later on the second Monday, whenever Dr. Marks had a meeting with the family, he says, Sir, I do not understand how this little girl's lived. He said, We're going to pull the breathing tube out of her this week. And he said, When she dies, you do not want to resuscitate her. I said, She's not going to die. He said, Of course she's going to die. He said, I've done two MRIs on that little girl. And there's absolutely nothing attached to her brain. Nothing. Now then, this is where you find out what you believe. This really finds out where you are going to be, what you're going to believe, whether you're going to believe God or you're going to believe what they say. Well, I've come to realize that 999 and 9.10% of the church believes the doctrine instead of the word. And that's a shame. That's what I'm trying to eliminate. I'm trying to tell you, you can stand on the word of God. And when you do, he'll do the same thing for you he did for me. Because he's no respecter of persons. He loves you just as much as he does me. You know that, don't you? But he's a faith God. He expects you to act just like I did, right? And so whenever I stood on the Word, and I told him, I said, guarantee she's not going to die. I guarantee she's going to run and play again. I said, Dr. Marks, are you a Christian? He said, no, sir, I'm a Jew. I said, good. My Jesus was a Jew, and he's the best physician in the universe. And you're going to get to see the Jewish doctor do the best work you've ever seen in your life. And that's the way I'm talking to him. I have no doubt. I'm perfectly comfortable. You know, I mean, here's my little three-year-old, four-year-old, nearly four-year-old grandbaby laying there on technique on her deathbed, and I do not have a tear in my eye. And I'm telling everybody what my Jesus is going to do. And there ain't no doubt in my heart he's going to do. He got to do what he said he'd do in this book, as long as I don't doubt. If I doubt, then I'm double-minded and unstable, and I need not think he'll do anything for me. But as long as I walk in total faith, he has to do what he said he would do. He cannot lie. He cannot go beyond it is written. He has limited himself to this word. So if you stay in faith with nothing wavering, no doubt, the Lord, but that's where he wants you to be. He honors him when you honor him by believing his word and standing in faith. But it'll be easy for the devil to put you to the test because if you don't know how these things work, you'll never be able to see it happen. But anyway, whenever... That next Thursday, when they come in to pull the tubes out of Caitlin, Dr. Davis, she's just a beautiful, precious Christian woman. 
I'm standing there reading my Bible and uh, in the room, and she walks in. She says, Mr. Scrivener, you are the only human being I have ever met in my life that absolutely refuses to accept reality. <laughs> now, she's a Christian. I said, ma'am, you have trained yourself with your five physical senses. And I said, I don't live in the five physical senses. Hallelujah. I live in the world of faith, and it's the Word of God. And it brings miracles into existence. I said, about that time, all these other doctors and nurses and everybody walked into the room. They're all gathering around the bed. And I said, I want to quote God's word to y'all one more time. I said, John fifteen seven made the statement that if I remain in him and he remains in me, I can ask him for anything and he'll do it. I said, now then, I've asked him to give my little grandbaby life and give it to her normal, fix everything in her body. And I said, I guarantee he's going to do it. So it's now then when you all pull these tubes out of her and everything, instead of her dying, like you're expecting her to do, she's going to breathe over the machine on her own and she's going to cough. I guarantee it because Jesus made me the promise. And they all looked at me thinking, oh, goodness, what a fool. They pulled all the tubes and she breathes two points over the machine and starts coughing. An hour later, those doctors are still sitting on the side of the bed with their elbows in the bed, <laughs> watching everything. And every time she coughs, one of them will say, or all of them will say, I don't believe this. I said, men and women, let me tell you all why you don't never see God do anything. Number one, He expects you to believe He can do what He said He would do before you see it. And then after you see it, if all you can say is, I don't believe it, I'm going to tell you why you never see God do nothing. It's because you don't believe the Word of God. And unfortunately, that's what happened. Well, of course, you know, we got her out of the hospital and went home and everything, and I'll just kind of summarize this and make this short. But in the next few weeks, I took took the name of Jesus and got her where she could sit down, stand up, walk, everything. And then we took and prayed one Sunday afternoon for two hours for her eyes. And, of course, I invited a church of 400 Baptists to come and pray for her. But I said, anybody that don't believe God's going to open her eyes when we pray. I do not want you in this prayer meeting. Because if you don't believe the king's going to do what he said he would do, I don't want you here today. But I said, if you believe he will do what he said he will do, then I invite you to the prayer meeting. And we had 30 out of 400. That's not bad in the Baptist church. That's not bad. I mean, but it might not be bad in this church. I don't know. We might not have any more percentage-wise. I don't know because we just, unbelief just eats us up. And so anyway, we came and we prayed. And of course, about 10 other people, 40 of us, we prayed for two hours. And at the end of the two hours, did we see any changes? No. Did I see any changes the next day? No. But three weeks later, I did. Three weeks later, she could see again. The Lord reconnected those little disconnected cords from her eyes to her brain. And today she sees. He's awesome, isn't he? So anyway, praise the Lord, we only got one thing left now, and that's the eating. Now, this is the greatest test of faith that I had to go through. I got one grandbaby. I had one daughter. The daughter's in heaven with her mother. And I don't have any more grandbabies at this time. And we have not been able to get this vow fixed. I have prayed over this vow with Mark eleven twenty four. Now, see, there might have been some other verses I could have done something with, but Mark eleven twenty four makes this statement. Whatever you desire, what is the limitations? Whatever. Whatever. What does that include? 
a lot of stuff. Right? Whatever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received it. And the king says, you shall have it. Wow. Pretty awesome statement coming from the king, isn't it? Is that pretty well a blank check? Yes. You know what that would be like? Since Cheryl says she's my greatest teaching tool. (laughs) The other day, before we got married, I told her, I said, honey, you marry me. You're going to be going places, and there's going to be places we're going to go. It's going to be churches. You're going to have to have some very nice clothes to wear. I said, I want you to look like a princess. I don't want you to dress in not just common stuff. I want you to dress nice. So I said, uh, do you know where to shop to get nice things? She said, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I took out a roll of money, and I took it out, and I looked at it, and I said, this would buy a few nice things. She said, yes, it would. I said, but here, let me double this. And so I doubled it and gave it to her, and I said, here, go buy yourself a wardrobe of beautiful clothes. I'm not even married to her yet. No man has ever done anything like this for her in her life. So she goes to a very, very nice place. She buys her a wardrobe. Her whole closet is full of the most beautiful dresses and clothes. You can't imagine. In fact, after we got married, we spent about the first three or four days, she's modeling all these dresses and clothes for me. And she does look like a princess or a queen in all of them. But, boy, she bought some beautiful dresses. And then the other day we were going to go out to uh, GLC to be on television. And so she said, now, I'm going to take, she modeled three different dresses. She said, we're only going to be out there one day. But she got three, and couldn't figure out which one she wanted. So she put those in her hanging bag and three beautiful dresses. And so we get ready to go out to GLC and we get about halfway, no, two-thirds of the way out there. And she said, you did get my hanging bag. I said, I got my hanging bag. (laughs) And I've got your suitcase. She said, I hung my bag on the back of the door. I asked you, did you get the hanging bag? I thought you were talking about mine. I said, yeah, I got it. (laughs) She said, you did not get my hanging bag? I says, no. She said, you know, I don't have a thing to wear. I said, well, we got a couple hours. We're going to get here a couple hours early. So I said, let's go down to Dillard's or somewhere. And I said, Lord, she said, I'll just buy one outfit. I only got to have one. I said, okay, that's really right. Since we're only going to be on there two hours, you only need one outfit in two hours. (laughs) So I said, Lord, provide us a great deal when we get there. You know, ask them to have something on special or something. So we walked into the store, and that day they just opened four big racks of beautiful clothes for women, 75% off. So she runs in there, and she starts saying, Oh, this is beautiful. Hold this. This is my size. Hold it. And so I get about this much stuff in my hand, and a lady comes up and said, I'll take it to the dressing room for you. And she gets about three groups like that. She goes into the dressing room. She comes out with something. You know, she comes in. How do you like this? I look at this, and no, that's not good. Comes back, comes out. I said, that's pretty good. Okay, hold that to the side a little bit. I said, that one's a wow. Okay. Comes back. I said, now that's an awesome. She said, wow. Okay. So in a little while... She comes out, she says, okay, we got the good, the wow, and the awesome. So said, well, now we've got to have a discussion. Uh, which one of these am I going to take? I said, they're all beautiful on you. She said, I know. I said, and they're 75% off, so guess what? You can have them all three. 
So she said, next time we go, I'm going to forget my hanging day. <laughs> Isn't life fun? Life is lots of fun. Now, see, you could have had a knockdown drag out on the way. You could have said, she said, you mean you forgot my hanging bag? And you could have had a knockdown drag out and had a problem instead of having fun over this whole thing, right? So you don't let the devil get in. You just have fun serving the Lord. Some of you guys remember that. You may need it one of these days. Because the devil will do everything he can to ruin your life. Now then, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, Behold... His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Habakkuk 2 4. The just shall live by faith. Who is the just? That's us. It's supposed to be us. We're supposed to be just. We're supposed to be just as if we'd never sinned, right? We're washed in the blood. So we're supposed to be just. The just, justified by the blood of Jesus, just as if we had never sinned. We're supposed to be clean and pure before the Lord. When we get saved, that's the way we are. And of course, most of us, like if you were like I was, after you got saved, just a few minutes after you got saved, you had dirt on you again. Because now then, every sin you confess after you get saved, you have to repent of it and confess it, or it's still there. Now, technically speaking, if I'd have had somebody to tell me, from day one, I'm justified, washed in the blood, and I'm clean and pure. I should never sin again. You're to walk holy before God, and if you walk holy before Him, anything you ask Him, He'll do for you. That would have made a tremendous difference in the way I had done business. But nobody told me these things. I didn't know those things, and nobody else did. At least not that I knew. But He says, the just shall live by faith. Then we go to Romans 1.17. And it says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And then Galatians 3.11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. You can't be justified or made right by the law. No man ever was. So technically you and I don't live under the law, or we're not supposed to. The church does live under the law as a rule. But we're not supposed to. We're supposed to live by faith. And when you step into that realm of faith, that's where the secret place of the Most High God is. That's where you get your prayers answered. That's where you begin to see the Lord do great and mighty things. And then he says in Hebrews 10.38, this is the fourth place. Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in you. Now, if you draw back from God, and you, in other words, if you're walking in that faith realm, he's happy with you. In fact, when I walked in that faith world, the second week in uh, Cook's Medical Center, starting the middle of the week, after I'd already got two other babies miraculously healed, now I'm in the process of cleaning out Cook's Medical Center in the name of Jesus. I've heard people say, you know, if you're such a man of faith, won't you go do that? Hey, I did it. I went over there and literally saw God raise nine babies from the dead in 30 days. That were everyone on their deathbed saw the king, raised them up and healed them. And there's nine children alive and well today that would have been dead if I had not been there. Now then, what will he do if we believe him? What if the whole church believed him like that? Wow. The whole world would come to Christ in a month. You know it? 
they were, I mean, if we walked in that kind of a demonstration of the Spirit of God, I mean, there was people that called me. You, would, you can't imagine the people that contacted me uh, that was over there that was sitting there listening to people talk about me and Jesus. Everybody, people come and get me. Mr. Scribner, would you come pray for my baby? Well, sure. Well, I'll go over there and find out what their sins were, get them prayed over, and get them healed. But as I was doing that and getting all those people healed, those babies, starting the second week in the wee hours of the night, probably in the middle of the week, Wednesday or Thursday, I'd usually go home 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody left up there by that time. I'm walking down the corridor, and a man, well, every time, about 165, 170 pounds, it looked like, he would walk up beside me, and he would overtake me, be walking faster than I was, and as he overtake me, I would look to see who he was. And the first time I looked, this man was looking me right in the face. And he said, the Lord said to tell you, he loves you. And of course, that startled me. And I stopped. And he didn't. He just kept right on walking. I watched him go around the corner. And I thought, who in the world is that guy? The Lord said to tell you, he loves you. So the next week, the same thing happened. Same hallway, different man. The fourth week, the same thing happened. And when it happened the third time, when this guy was walking along beside me, and I turned to look to see who he was, and he always walked up on my left side every time. Whenever I would look to see who he was, they'd be looking me right in the face, and he said, the Lord said to tell you, he loves you. Well, when he walked, I stopped, and... I was only oh, 10 feet from the end of the quarter. The guy walked, and it's just, as he, just as he turned the end of the quarter, I said, I'm going to find out who these guys are. <laughs> so I ran to the end of that quarter and looked to the left. And as far as you could see, there was nobody in that hallway. Then I knew who they were. Angels. Angels, messengers from God, had been sent to encourage me, to help me out when I went through the greatest trial and test of my life. So, it's wonderful when you realize the battle that's going on. You're wonderful when you realize God is for you. He's not against you, but He's a faith God. And if you don't pray in faith, He says the just shall live by faith. And if we draw back, you cannot please Him. Well, let me tell you, I've realized that for the first 45 years of my life, every time something happened, I always drew back in faith because I did not know how to walk in faith. When I didn't know how to walk in faith... I never got to see God do anything. But when I started standing on the Word, with no doubt in my heart, wow, you get to see angels show up. You know, you get to see people raised from the dead. You know, I mean, all kinds of things. Just like the other day, whenever I was on GLC uh, out there in Odessa, the first time. We've been on there twice now. In fact, I might tell you that the GLC contacted me this last week. They want to build my own set, just like I want it. They want me to come out there. And they're going to pay my airplane fare out there. going to pay my hotel bill while I'm out there. And we're going to spend three or four days out there. And we're going to film probably 15 30-minute television shows in the month of August. And they're going to start airing them probably in October, one a week. And then they're going to, it's going to be an ongoing series for who knows how long. And they're going to pay all the cost, even for me to come out and build my own set just like I want it. And they're going to air it for me for free. No charge. Wow. Is that awesome or is that awesome? You know the reason they're going to do that? Because when I was on GLC the first time back in March, I was on for two hours on primetime. I was brand new to GLC. They'd never seen me or heard me or nothing. But that night, 
They had more telephone calls to re-air that television show and had more requests for tapes of that show than any speaker they said that's ever been on GLC since it's come into existence. That's an humbling statement. But that's what they did. And because they've done that, they asked me to come back. And then, of course, by the miracles, they've had many people call into the station and declare the miracles that God has done as we prayed for them. So, wow, all I can say, thank you, Jesus. That's all I can say. I just get to be the messenger boy. He does all the work. Isn't it fun serving the king? I mean, it's so much fun serving the Lord. So start doing something in faith. Now, how's the just supposed to live? By faith. What does that mean? By the Word of God. What is faith? Faith is the Word of God. Now, if the Lord made you a statement or a promise in His Word, you are to live by faith. You're to walk by the Word. You're to trust the Word. Not what other people tell you. Not what your preacher tells you. Not what the doctor tells you. Not what the lawyer tells you. But what the Word tells you. You live by the Word. I see this precious, beautiful young lady over here. She looks like she's got a little baby coming along in her womb right here. She should never believe what the doctor tells her unless it's good. If a doctor ever tells you anything that's not perfect, you don't never believe the doctor. In fact, I think about a couple named Sean and Christina Bowman. It's probably been six years ago or something like that. She'd had several surgeries to have her first baby. And they finally had the baby. They were Baptists at the time. They didn't know the promises. They didn't know how to walk by faith. So they met me through a television ministry. He worked with the sound systems and the TV and audio and so forth on the radio. And he met me through that, and he learned about my great faith. And so when him and his wife couldn't have another child, they come to me at the television station one night after the TV station program was over and said, Thurman, we want a second baby would you pray with us in faith? I said, of course I will. I said, Mark eleven twenty three. the king makes us a statement and he guarantees that we can have whatever we say with our mouth. So I knelt there on the floor with that lovely couple. I asked the Father in Jesus' name. I said, first of all, I speak to the mountain that's preventing you from getting pregnant. And I command that mountain to be removed, whatever it is. I said, now, Father, whatever you need to do to change their two bodies so that they can get pregnant and have a beautiful, healthy, intelligent boy, that's what they want, I said, Lord, give them a beautiful, healthy, intelligent boy. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, now you two go do what you're supposed to do to get pregnant, and I guarantee you'll get pregnant. Well, I mean, you expect God to go so far. (laughs) But, you know, he gave us a brain, too. We're supposed to do something. We're supposed to enjoy it, you know, while we're doing it. So, anyway, I told them to go do what they're supposed to do, and I guarantee they get pregnant. Well, in one month, she was pregnant. One month, she was pregnant. Her husband, Sean, called me and said, Thurman, praise God, Christina is already pregnant. He said, this is awesome. And so 12 weeks later, he called me about 2 in the morning and said, Thurman, we're over here at the hospital and Christina is flooding like crazy. And the doctor said, she's going to lose this baby tonight. And Christina said, I am not losing this baby. God has given me this baby. I know this is the devil. She said, Sean, honey, go call Thurman. We need a faith prayer warrior. He said, honey, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. She said, I don't care and he won't care. That Thurman will fight the battle with us. So I got the phone call. I said, in the name of Jesus. I said, you devil of hell, you're trying your best to kill this little baby. I said, you ain't going to get it done. I said, in Jesus' name, I command you to get your hands off of Christina's body now in Jesus' name. Christina Bowman instantly stopped bleeding. Just like that. When I took authority over the devil, she stopped bleeding. And, of course, nine total months later, she had a beautiful, bouncing baby boy. Well, I hadn't seen them. I went to the first birthday party, 
And I hadn't been there, hadn't seen him since he was a year old. The other day, I walked in over here at one of the radio stations to talk to a man one evening late about a radio program that I wanted to do. And when I walked in, I'm just talking to somebody. I hear somebody scream, Thurman Scribner! And I thought, whoops. And I turned around, and it's Christina Bowman with those two little boys. She comes running over, hugs me, brings the boys over, said, look at my boys. She said, Thurman, look at them. And let me tell you, she's a happy mama. She's got two beautiful, healthy, intelligent boys. Now, how did we get them? We ask in faith in the name of Jesus, according to Mark eleven twenty three, And God heard and honored and gave her that beautiful boy. Was it without a battle? No. But how much authority and power do we have over the devil? All power and all authority is given to us over the devil. So we should never let the devil take nothing away from us. But when a mother or a, uh, a family, they get pregnant in the church and then some little complication comes up, it's just a devil. You don't have to sweat it. You've got all power and all authority over him. So don't sweat it. Don't go to the doctor. Just take the Word of God and drive the beast out in Jesus' name. What, honey? Oh, we will before this is over. That's for sure. Okay, I did not know that. You don't have to receive any bad reports from the doctor. You know that, right? I mean, Jesus is in control, and He'll do anything we ask Him to do if we ask Him in faith. You will have a beautiful, healthy, intelligent child. In fact, I want everybody in this room to pray with me right now. I don't know what her report was, but in the name of Jesus, we come against the forces of darkness that have attacked you in Jesus' name, and we're taking authority over the devil. We're driving him out. In the name of Jesus, and he will not attack you and this baby no more in Jesus' name. And you will bear a beautiful, healthy, intelligent child, a full term, with minimum complications, with minimum pain. Because the Lord says we can have anything we say with our mouth. So we're saying you're going to have a beautiful, healthy, intelligent child. And that baby will grow up and be anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, even from your womb. And the Lord will use that little fellow, girl, whatever it is. In a mighty way for His glory. Now, don't you take anything else but that in the name of Jesus. All right. Now, praise the Lord. You don't never take a bad report. Now, just think, if just one or two, if the Lord just said two of us on earth could agree about anything we ask Him and He'll do it, think what He'll do if we get a bunch this big agreeing. Now, let me ask this question. How many of y'all believe that this baby's going to be beautiful, healthy, and telling? Amen. In the name of Jesus. Because who is our king? Jesus. Jesus. He's our king. And the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith. Did the Lord say we can ask anything? Did the Lord say we can drive out devils and lay hands on the sick and they'll get well? Did the Lord say if two of us on earth agree about anything, He will do it? Okay, so with just those few promises, I mean, we can't go wrong, can we, young lady? I mean, not with our king. Amen. Amen. So see... We need to realize that we're in a war on this earth. We're in a war, and the war is between God and the devil. But God is a faith God, and He expects you to believe His promises. Now, I used to think a long time ago when I'd pray, I thought I was trying to persuade God to do something He was reluctant to do. I mean, that's where I thought I was at. I thought if I prayed long enough, I thought if I just prayed long enough, He might finally hear me and do what I asked Him. Maybe if I'd done something like, you know, and I thought, oh, God, you know, why is it I never get a prayer answered? And he just said in his word, I'm a faith God. He said, you speak it in faith. It's done. You call me in remembrance of my promises, and I'll watch over my word to perform my word. Amen. 
He said, you, you never come to me without my word. You come to me, you quote my word to me. And if you quote my word to me, that's faith. You're living by my word. He said, and my word is the only thing that, excuse me, my word is the only thing the devil's afraid of. He said, you notice when the devil attacked me in the wilderness, I spoke the word. It is written, it is written, it is written. And then you notice after the second time he spoke the word, the devil spoke the word too. In fact, he spoke one of the scriptures we quoted today out of Psalms 91. That's where he got that. The devil knows the word. But if you know the word and you walk in faith, the devil's a pushover. But if you don't know the word and you walk in the flesh, you're a pushover. You will not get your answer from God. Because he's a faith God. You've got to believe him. So, and the just is supposed to live by faith. And if we live by the faith, by the word of God, then when we pray over a little woman like this and speak like we did a while ago, then the word of God makes us a promise. It says what it'll do. So I guarantee this little gal will have no more problem with this pregnancy. This baby's going to be normal, healthy, beautiful, and intelligent. No two ways about it. You can't take nothing else. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's the only way to have it, right? Glory to God. Yeah, so praise the King. Okay, so let's go on then. We look here now. In Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, if faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, see, like this baby in her womb, we can't see this baby in her womb yet. But one of these days soon, we can see, you know, but he's growing in there. We know he's in there, but we can't see him yet, right? But we know he's in there. He or she. What, have you ever had a sonogram? A she? Okay, so you know that she's in there. And so now then what we got to do is believe by faith this little girl that's going to come out of here beautiful, healthy, intelligent with minimum pain. You know, because the Lord says we can have anything we say. Now see, this my daughter, when my daughter got pregnant with Caitlin, she came to me and said, Daddy, praise the Lord. She, oh, she won't have a baby. Oh, she won't have a baby. And so, I mean, first rattle out of the box, you know, of course, her first cycle after she got married, that's what she did, got pregnant. (laughs) Ten months later, this little girl, well, she was going to have a little girl because she wanted a baby. She loved children. She said, Daddy, I've asked God for a healthy baby. I said, and? And she said, well, what do you mean, and? I said, honey, he's a great big God. What do you mean you asked for a healthy baby? Well, Daddy, I want a healthy baby. I said, but honey... Uh, she said, well, Daddy, what should I ask for? I said, goodness, at least a healthy, beautiful, intelligent one, you know. I mean, at least that much. I mean, goodness gracious, turn in your order. He's a faith God, you know. I mean, we should never just shotgun blast, out, Lord, give me a baby. No, I don't want just a baby. I want a beautiful, healthy one. That's just like uh, this couple that came to me, and he was a, they were both Indian. And they come to me, and he said, his name was C.V. Thomas. He said, Thurman, I want you to pray for my wife and I to have babies. I said, well, what's, what's the deal? He said, well, we're Catholic. We go to church. We love Jesus. But we've been married 10 years. We can't have no children. And the doctors say, neither one of us can have babies. I said, well, I said, C.V., why did you come to me? He said, Thurman, it seems like everybody you pray for gets what they ask for. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, let me... Open the Bible to Mark eleven twenty three, and I'll speak to your mountain, and I'll ask the Father in Jesus' name to give you and your wife a baby. He said, no, don't, Thurman, we don't want a baby. We want babies. <laughs> I said, well, okay, I'll ask the Lord to give you babies. I said, now, he knows your heart. I don't. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you know this couple's heart. You know what they want. He says he and his wife want babies. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to give them the desires of their heart. 
whatever it is they want. Because I'd ask specifically for a baby. Now, see, God's a faith God. You know, every time I'd ever asked for a baby, I'd always got a baby. You know, I didn't get multiple births. But this family wanted babies. You know, and he was very adamant. We want babies. I said, okay. So I said, now then, after we prayed the prayer of faith, I said, you two go do what you're supposed to do. And I said, you'll conceive and have babies. Well, about three months later, he come busting in my office and said, Mr. Scrivener, my wife is pregnant. I said, well, praise the Lord. That's what I expected. I said, now just, you know, just keep on praising the Lord, CB. Well, he keeps on praising the Lord. About five months later, he comes running in there, screaming both hands up. He said, we had a sonogram done today, and guess what's in my wife's womb? I said, I have no idea. Babies? <laughs> he said, yes. I said, you're going to have twins. He said, triplets. <laughs> three boys. So they had three boys. So be careful what you ask for. <laughs> Since he's a faith God, remember... He is a faith God. So when you ask Him, you ask Him in faith, believing. So, you know, don't ask for something you don't want. I mean, I think about the times I've turned my order in for a car. I'm serious. See, I don't do nothing without praying. I remember one time whenever my daughter was going to get our, um, I was going to give her my wife's Buick, and I wanted to buy my wife a little bit newer Oldsmobile, and so I turned in my order. I said, Lord, I'd like to have an 86 or an 87 Delta 88 Oldsmobile, four-door. I want a beautiful car. I want it to look like brand new. I want it to have low mileage. I want it to have new tires on it. I want the car to look like brand new. I want it to have AM, FM stereo. I want it to have manual air conditioning. I don't want one that's got that automatic air conditioning stuff on it. At that time, I wanted a manual air conditioning where I can control the levers myself. I told the Lord exactly what I wanted. I turned in my order on the way to work that morning, praying in my truck, coming to work. At noon, I sat down at the table to have lunch, and there was a Dallas Times Herald, and my eyes fell right on 87 Delta 88 Oldsmobile, one owner, you know, 52,000 miles, leaving the country, must sell. I also told the Lord, I said, Lord, I have about $7,000 in the bank, and I, so I'd like this car to be somewhere between six and seven, between six and seven. So I'd have enough money to pay total cash, pay all the taxes and everything, and have a little bit of money left over. And so, by asking the Lord all those things, that day at noon, whenever the phone uh, uh, ran, when I called the lady on the phone, and she said, yes, my husband and I are leaving the country, and says, uh, uh, you're welcome to come over and look at it. So I went over that afternoon, looked at the car, pulled up there. It looked like a brand new 87 Delta 80, that's years ago. The car was only about three years old, looked like brand new. Had 52,000 miles on it. And I said, what do you want for it? And she said, 6,500. That's just pretty close to halfway between six and seven. Isn't it? Pretty close. And so I said, well, I'd like to buy it. She said, well, two other people have come by and looked at it. And they said they would come back this evening and let me know whether they want it or not. I said, did anybody make you a down payment on it? She said, no. I said, well, here, I'm going to write you a check for $6,500 and I'm going to go and get my wife, and we're going to come back, and we're going to get the car. She said, well, it's yours. So I bought that car. My wife and I drove that car 195,000 miles and never spent a penny on it. 195,000 miles, and it run beautiful and perfect all that time. Now then, the just shall live by faith. And it's just like, uh, I believe it's Dr., I forget what his name is now over in Korea, that he, when he first started in the ministry, he asked the Lord, said, Lord, I need a desk and a chair. Y'all heard this story, haven't you? 
asked for a desk and a chair a year later and a bicycle. And he wanted a desk and a chair and a bicycle. A year later, he comes to the Lord and said, Lord, I've been waiting a year for this desk and this chair and this bicycle, and it's never happened. And the Lord spoke to him and said, you didn't tell me what kind of desk. You didn't tell me what color you wanted. You didn't tell me what kind of chair. You didn't tell me what kind of upholstery you wanted. You didn't tell me what kind of bicycle. You didn't tell you wanted, whether you wanted it with fenders or without. You didn't turn in an order. He got a great revelation from God being a faith God. So he sat down and he filled it out and said, Lord, I want a desk of wood. I want it this color. I want a chair with this color upholstery. I want the bicycle and I want fenders on it. I want a horn on it, a bell and all these things. And the next morning a truck pulled up front and unloaded it exactly like he had ordered. Now let me tell you, that's just like that gentleman over that, runs, that did run the orphan's homes in England. The orphan's homes are still there, but he's now passed away. But he was a great man of faith. He prayed in every one of them buildings, everything. They said sometimes there'd be 2,000 children waiting for lunch, and there was not one morsel of bread in the house. And he would not call anybody. He would go up in his office, get on his knees, and say, Lord, I have 2,000 children of yours waiting here to be fed. Now, you told me to ask you, and you would send whatever I asked for. So I asked for enough food to feed all these children, and I thank you for sending it. And they said those kids never had to wait more than 30 minutes. Never. In fact, one guy called him one morning at 2 a.m. in the morning. I called his general manager at 2 a.m. in the morning. He said, in the morning, will you please load a truckload of food out of our factories and take it out to that orphan's home? He said, on second thought, take two truckloads. He said, on second thought, take three truckloads. He said, I've got to get some rest. He said, God will not let me sleep. He's moving. That man must be praying because God is keeping me awake night and day telling me to send food to that orphan's home. And I've been rebellious and have not done it. He said, take three truckloads out there so I can get some rest. Now, see, God can move on your heart, can't he? Yes, he can. And all you got to do is have a man that knows how to pray in faith. And that man learned how to pray in faith. Now, the just shall live by faith. If God makes us these promises in His Word, what should we do? We should believe Him, shouldn't we? And when we believe Him, we should ask in faith, nothing wavering, because He's Daddy. Daddies never hold good things from their daughters or sons, do they, Frank? No, absolutely not. So then, He says, if this is what faith is, in Hebrews eleven six, it says, but without faith... Oh, somebody's read that verse besides me. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please the king. So, if it's impossible to please him, now let me, let me, and of course, I'll use Cheryl, you know, as my guinea pig here. <laughs> Since she's my wife, I wouldn't use anybody else. But let's say that if nothing I did pleased this girl, do you think she would fall out of bed in the morning and fix me eggs and bacon for breakfast just for no reason? I mean, what if I did nothing that pleased her? What if we've been married 10 years and I mean, everything I did was. I was mean to her. I didn't do good things to her. I was not a gentleman. I, I, I spoke rough to her and everything. And do you think she would just automatically fall out of bed every morning and fix me a beautiful breakfast? Oh, Terry, you don't, you're shaking your head. No, you don't think you would do that to him if he treated you like that, huh, girl? But what, but what if everything Frank did for you pleased you? You fall out of that bed and fix him a good breakfast, won't you, girl? Why do you do that? Because you love him, right? Amen. That's the, same time, that's the same reason any woman will do that for her man. If he is a man that loves his wife and is gentle to her, treats her like a lady, 
That woman will have no problem submitted to that man, will she? Absolutely not. All he's got to do is be what he's supposed to be. Love her and hold her. And in fact, I think of the men that never hold their woman close. Take them for granted. Now guys, if I'm talking to you, you know who I'm talking to. If you haven't held your wife close today, when you walk out of this room, you should hold your wife close to you, look her right in the eye and say, honey, I want to tell you, I love you. You know what that does to your wife? I saw that lady smile when I just said that. <laughs> and she's not even my wife. <laughs> it's something about those words, isn't it, honey? If that man of yours, is this your husband sitting here beside you? If he sitting here beside you were to hold you and look you right in the eye and hold you up close and say, Honey, I want to tell you how much I love you and appreciate you. Does that make you feel good? Absolutely. Absolutely makes you feel good. Now then, you guys that have not done that lately, if you haven't done that lately, let today be the new day of your beginning. Because you might be amazed what that girl might do for you that she's not done for you before. All you need to do is take the first initiative and treat her like a lady and love her. I don't care if you've been married 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. It still makes them feel good when you hold them and tell them you love them. If you're a normal woman. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, you would definitely not be a normal woman if you was hard to get along with after you'd been treated like that, right? But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, so if it's impossible to please God without faith... And if your mate would be like that, if you didn't do nothing that pleased your mate, they probably wouldn't do a whole lot for you. But if you pleased your mate in everything you did, your mate will do anything you ask him to do. You know, no problem. No, absolutely no problem. Then it says in First uh, John 5, let's see, what are we, how much time we got left? About 10 minutes? What time do we start? 1230? No. Something like that. We got about 10, 15 minutes left, something like that. Only five? Only five. Okay, five minutes. Okay, First John 5, verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now see, that begins to take on a whole new meaning when you begin to understand what that really means. The world and the world system is everything that's out here that's working in the world, that you see it. Now for you guys that are in the workplace... Your faith can overcome every obstacle you have at work. I have built buildings in record times with record money. I have prayed in contractors. It's amazing what you can do. The faith that we have. In fact, in 1983, I was given a chore. I had done so many jobs and things for the corporation that I worked for. In fact, back in that day, I'll just tell you who it was. I worked for the Marriott Corporation, and I built facilities for them at airports all over the world. I'd done so many miracles for them. They thought the, the executive VP from Washington come down in May the 15th of 1983 and thought, I'm going to put Thurman to the test. He come down and he said, Thurman, get your notepad. I want you to walk around. We've got a building over. It's closed down. It's 25,000 square feet. I had built it uh, way back in 1973. But he said, we need to add 20,000 square feet to this building. And he said, we need to renovate the 25,000 and he said, we need it all done by the last day of July. And this was the 15th day of May. That's two and a half months. This is about a $1.1 million project at that time in 1983. I looked at him and said, you can't be serious. He said, I'm very serious. 
I said, why do you need it done so quick? He said, we're going to lose the lease on that building over here on the other side of the airport. We need to move everything in here before the 1st of August. I said, you know you're asking me to do in the flesh an impossible task. He said, yes, I know. I said, okay. So I went home, got on my knees. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, you told me I could ask you anything and you would do it for me. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, they give me $1.1 million to put the addition and renovate that building. I said, help me to do this under budget so I don't go over budget. And help me to move. I said, help move upon the hearts of everybody from zoning and planning all the way through and the contractors. Otherwise, if you don't do it, this project can never happen in two and a half months. But I said, with you, nothing's impossible. I said, thank you, Father. I said, regardless of which way you decide to go on this one, I said, if you decide to do this, I'll always give you the glory and praise, of course. But I said, if you don't, then I'll just do the best I can with your help because I know you're going to help me. So the next morning after I prayed, I went to out in front of that building, and I stood there, and I'm looking at the building, and a big electrical contractor truck pulled in, and two guys get out and walk over, and he said, are you Thurman Scrivener? And I said, yes. He said, our boss told us to come out here this morning. You needed some electrical work done. I have not called one single person. <laughs> Only God. And I took them in and got them started. And I thought, Lord, how unique. <laughs> that they just happened to show up at the right time. And then I went to the post office and there was a next day air for me. One floor plan of that building that they wanted to put the additional. One sheet of floor plan. And that's all. No specs, no full drawings, no details. I walked that over to Al Magazine's office at the FW Airport. And I said, Al, I realize this is a little unusual. But my company's in a big hurry to build this building. And it's probably going to be at least a week or maybe a week and a half before I get the specs and the details. But I said, what would be the chance of me starting on this facility to put this addition to it with just this one floor plan? You know what they would normally tell you? Thurman, when you get the full details and specs, bring them to us. We'll spend six to eight weeks reviewing them, and then we'll let you know what you need to change. That's what they say. I know I've been there and done it too many times. He looked at that drawing, throwed it out there, and he said, oh, your company's a good outfit. You're a good engineer. He said, you got my okay? Signed his name on it. He said, get started. Do whatever you want to do. When you get the specs and drawings, bring them to me. In the meantime, he said, you got my full okay to get started. I walked out of there saying, Lord, thank you. This is your will. I built that building, renovated 25,000 square feet, put 20,000 square feet on brand new, totally, completely turnkey, finished job, Six days short of the deadline, $100,000 below budget. Isn't that awesome? Now, what can you do through prayer? The just shall live by what? Faith. So why in the world is when the church don't we start living by faith? I don't care where you're at. In the business world, in the secular world, in the physical world, in the, in the medical world, anything you need from God, He's provided everything in the world and the promises are all there all you and me got to do is believe them and stand on them with no doubt in your heart. 
Now then, you don't you don't pray over a lady like that, and then she walk out and said, "Oh God, I hope this works." Now, Lord, oh, I, I'm not sure you're going to do what you said you'd do, but oh God, Lord, I, oh Lord, I hope something don't happen to this baby. No, you go saying, "Lord, thank you, it's done." I don't care what kind of symptom or pain or anything else comes up on me, Lord. I'm going to bear a beautiful, healthy, intelligent little girl. And there ain't going to be no complications. None. She's going to be normal and beautiful and healthy. And it can't fail. You see where I'm coming from? So praise the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Are we out of time? Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay. Well, we're out of time. I'm going to just tell you all how I know do bit when Jeff said that I just talked forever. Well, I, I brought the Bible and I started out with Psalms 91 and I got down through the first page of my first outline and it was only four or five pages and then I brought, just in case, I brought about seven or other, other outlines that are anywhere from 10 to 15 pages each. So I guess I got enough stuff there to talk for about three days. <laughs> praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and thank you for the privilege to talk about your word. The most awesome thing that there is, Lord. Oh, Lord, I praise you for the word. Now, Lord, I ask you to help everybody here today that they may truly in this church, as they start walking in faith, true faith, may they start praying in faith. And may you start blessing this church in such a mighty way, in every way, in every realm. I know this church is already blessed abundantly, but I know this church is lacking in the realms of physical healing and emotional healing. And Lord, I ask you to work in each one of these people's lives, the leaders in this church.